This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, 7 a.m. Eastern Time on a Monday morning. Extra hour of sleep this weekend. Doesn't matter. What a crock of bullshit that is. Yeah, it's all fake. It's a fake hour. But we're here and ready to go. As always, another crazy week in the NFL. And where else would you go to get the full breakdown? of every single game than right here on the PFF NFL podcast. November the 6th and we're back, baby. The whole city's lit up orange. It's Bengals time again. It felt like it. I was at the game last night, Sam. You, you get a, We get a live report. Yeah. From uh, reading our, coverages. Our seeing, Bengals correspondent. Seeing the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Paycor Stadium correspondent. There's, Steve a, there's a, maybe a picture. I, there's a picture of me calling plays from the sideline yeah. with my laminated sheet. <laughs> I might have that. I might have proof. Now, during the game, I was not that close to the action. No. Uh, but, um, no, it was good. How close were you? I was in the last row of the stadium. <laughs> we was were in... It, was it cold up there? I wasn't as bad. I was very prepared. I was very prepared. Did it you get the memo, the orange and black thing? They had the whole stadium, like, segmented out. Uh, no. Uh, ah. my neighbor, I talked to my neighbor, though. I was like, hey, man, you going to the game? He's like, yeah, I'll be at the club level. It's my brother's seats. I have to figure out if I'm wearing orange or black. Right. He didn't know. Until, you know, night of or and day of. You just didn't care. And I didn't. Well, I was told. So we, get, we, we had, uh, so I was, went with Seth, who works, you know, they work with the production crew. And they said, debrand, basically. Don't be, uh, don't be branded or anything. No team, logos. Not that I was going to. But, you know, it just went generic black. But I fit. I was also, we were kind of in the Bills section, too. A lot okay. of Bills fans there. Yeah, well, section. I mean, that's where they put the people that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the last row of the stadium. We know? our seats, our seats said row thirty-five, and we walked up to the third level, and we only hit row thirty-four. And I was like, "Oh, Chris, Chris is asking us to jump off the ledge here." You sit up on the lights. We were on like the wrong side of the row. There was a, but you know, we're in the back row. Anyway, we'll talk about that game later. Cool. You ready to go? Yeah. All right, man. Let's start in Germany. Kansas City Chiefs twenty-one, Miami Dolphins fourteen. Chiefs move to seven and two. Dolphins fall. To six and three, uh, it looked like early on Mahomes had kicked the flu. 
right? The Chiefs, mm-hmm. Chiefs offense was cooking early on, and then they slowed down. Chiefs offense only scored 14 points, but the difference in the game was stripping Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Fumble, a fumble six with the little lateral. And uh, that was the difference in the game, man. It really was. I mean, incredible play and massive just swing in momentum, high leverage. Like one of those, so the situation was as big as anything. I mean, the, so this game starts and it's like, oh, we're going to get a shootout. You know, both teams look pretty comfortable uh, moving the ball. Uh, Kansas City in particular, like that offense just ticked right away and then everything stalled. Um, and then so just before halftime, Miami is trying to drive. They've got the – they're getting the ball at the start of the second half. They're trying to do the double dip and get right back level essentially. Um, they're driving, throw a little wide receiver screen to Tyreek Hill. Trent McDuffie reads it immediately and just like gets hold of Tyreek Hill Basically, as soon as the ball arrives, makes the tackle and strips the ball on the way down behind the line of scrimmage. Um, ball comes out, picked up, and then lateral to Cook, who takes it the distance. And suddenly you go from Miami's trying to get a score back and get you know either within 10 or within a touchdown. And instead, Kansas City puts another touchdown on the board before halftime. And, I mean, that is that ends up being the game from that point. It was. I mean, and then you get to see Miami, a high-powered explosive offense, but they have not – you know, do they have to come from behind? I know they've had come from behind wins and everything, but down three scores was – you know, that's a massive challenge, especially outside of Miami, right? In, in Miami, we talked about Miami, the, the Dolphins averaging over 43 points per game. It's, it's about half that now in, in all other cities in the world. Well, so also the other one that's – perhaps more pertinent now is they are averaging 39 points per game this season against teams with losing records and 17 points a game against teams with winning records yeah that's probably the bigger indicator not so much the home right the home thing helps but when you're at home against carolina the giants the broncos it's a little bit of a different story Mm -hmm. um so miami's trying to make their comeback they finally get into the end zone uh was it cedric wilson on the touchdown yeah yeah cedric wilson um I don't know if that was back shoulder or not, but it was pretty good ball location for him to go up and make a play. It was 21 to 7. Um, the Chiefs come back. Patrick Mahomes with his second lost fumble in two weeks. Uh, uncharacteristic, not only Mahomes getting sacked, but also putting the ball on the turf. That gave Miami new life, and they, and they got within a score, and then they were driving down for the potential game tying drive. And then it was just kind of ugly at the Ooh. end. A miscommunication. Ball maybe slipping out of two his hand on third down, and then a drop snap on fourth, and the game is over. The other thing that gave them life was no flag for a late hit out of bounds on Patrick Mahomes that would have extended a drive and essentially like they he usually they, gets that call. Yeah. I don't think I didn't think it was though. I, I mean, that was one of those. Had he, that have his been last called. step, his last step was you know on the green. Had that have and been he was in the air as he was getting hit. Had that have been called, not a single human in the world would have batted an eyelid, put it that way. Um, they were So they had Kansas City in a hole in that drive. This was just after they scored their touchdown. Uh, the Chiefs were like third and 20, just backed up deep, and then that play happens, and Mahomes is trying to go over the first down. isn't going to get there. He gets hit, arguably pretty late out of bounds, doesn't get a flag on that play. and That would have been offsetting penalties anyway. But Kansas City, because uh, Kansas City had holding on that penalty on that play, and they were going. 
they punt. I mean, it, it, they would have had another chance on third down. Yeah, basically. Um, they end if up, I remember correctly, right? No flag. Anyway, no rough or no late hit out of bounds on that play, and they end up uh, getting extended life because of it. Um, the Chiefs. Then, as you say, that final drive, you have the miss, deep pass, and then on fourth down, everything on the line, bad snap. Like the most underwhelming way a game can end possible. And the thing is, that play would have been so interesting because Spikes was sending the house. Yeah. It was like a, it was like engage eight from Madden. Everything was was on the way. And instead they can't even get the snap gone. Like, had they been able to get that ball to Tua, that would have been a very interesting play. Yeah, they, they asked Tua after the game, what was the play? He goes, you know, it's cover zero, best matchup, you know? So, could have seen. The, the previous play was, was really odd. There was a, um, again, I can't remember the receiver offhand, but uh, a go. It was Tyreek, I think, right? He was behind. Was it Tyreek? I think so. I mean, they, it was a go, and it looked like, so at first it was like, oh, Tua's throwing an out, but he's putting air under it, right? Yeah. And so it looked like he kind of got like mid, mid throw, and then realized the receiver's on a different page and just kind of let it go. Last night that would have been called intentional grounding, by mm. the way. You know, in the Bills Chris, game, Chris wasn't happy with that. So I didn't get to hear Chris, but I was not happy. I was, uh, I was furious. Yeah. Actually, I cannot stand bad intentional grounding calls. Can't well, stand it. I'll wait, wait two and a half hours from now. We'll get into it. Yeah. Are you looking at the play? Yeah. It's kind of a anticlimactic uh, finish because no. I was more thinking, what if the Dolphins? Because the Dolphins' run game got it back in, uh, got them back into it yeah. a little bit during that that final drive. Raheem Mostert breaking off a couple big runs, and then that was it, man. I was going to see. I was kind of hoping to see if they went for two. Yeah, it, it wasn't Tyreek Hill. I think it must have been Cedric Wilson. Um, yeah, I thought it was Wilson actually offhand, but yeah, I don't know what happened there. Anyway, Tyreek Hill ends up having. The most important play of the game against his former team in the Chiefs, and it ends up being a fumble. Him and him and Tua just felt like they were just off. I mean, Tyreek Hill finishes with eight catches for 62 yards, but had the fumble. Uh, it was a deep crosser where they just missed. A couple plays where they just missed. Um, so you didn't have that same explosive offense from the Dolphins. And uh, I think it brings up the questions. I was getting some, some Cowboys vibes from the Dolphins coming out of this. You know, this team that... I don't want to say they're front runners, but they could they could pile it on. They can have these games where it's like, wow, this team's this team's impressive. This team scores a lot of points. They beat up on the teams that they're supposed to beat up on. But now I think there are fair questions about the Dolphins, and I think you're right. It's not just out of Miami. It's the fact that when they've been out of Miami, they've played in Buffalo, in Philadelphia, in Germany against the Chiefs, and those games have been a struggle. I mean, they look like a completely different team offensively against good teams and happens to be outside of South Florida. Yeah, I mean, that's going to follow them until they show they can shake that off. The fact that they're averaging more than double the number of points against losing teams versus winning teams, that's your narrative now. And it's, you know, it's incumbent on Miami to show that that's not a real trait of this offense or this team and that they can actually rise to the occasion and beat the best teams in the NFL. But until that happens, it's, you know, justifiably what they're going to get tagged with. I mean, as soon as that game finished, you know, on Twitter where it shows you like the trending topics or whatever, it was like Miami, number one. And then number two was just the word fraud. Fraud was fraud trending. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Below Miami. And you're like, I mean, unfortunately that's going to be your thing until you can beat one of these teams. 
Um, on the other side, Kansas City's offense, again, only scored 14 points. The defense holds Miami to 14 and scores seven of their own. Mm. Are you – I mean, they're seven and two. It's kind of a different world for the Chiefs here where the, the defense is carrying them. This is the fifth game out of nine where they've scored 21 or fewer points offensively. Uh, any concerns on your end? These are the types of things where they usually like, weaknesses usually show up in the playoffs. And so is this one of those things where they end, you know, the Chiefs end the season with three or four losses, maybe get a number one seed, but go up against the Ravens or a decent team in the playoffs, and all of a sudden it's like maybe they're, the offense just isn't good enough this year? I mean, Mahomes kept saying afterwards in interviews that, you know, they were asking about his defense, and he was saying, I think this is the best defense in the league, let alone the best defense that I've had connected with me. But he was also saying, we'll get the offense figured out. You know, we will. And I kind of, I kind of believe him. I think eventually they've done it too many times already that I don't believe that this offense is just going to be average and stink for the majority of the season and not be the Chiefs. I think eventually they're going to find whatever it is. And they've shown flashes of it, and we've seen drives here or there, but it just keeps stalling out again. I, I do kind of believe them. I think they've shown enough like, of a history of struggling, having some problems, adjusting to the league, and then getting it again. And maybe you won't see, you know, true vintage Chiefs where there's so many weapons and it's just impossible to stop. But I get the idea that eventually this season we are going to get a better version of this offense consistently. Uh, So I kind of buy that. And, you know, both defenses, I think, did a really good job in this game. Like, it wasn't just both offenses were struggling and therefore it was a low-scoring game. It's like... Spagnolo over there was playing out of his mind on the call sheet. Vic Fangio, we know, is like the godfather of the defense and sweeping the NFL. You know, I think we have to pay credit to both defensive coaches for what they did in, in shutting down these two offenses. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was, a, it was a fun game, even if it didn't light up the scoreboard. Still a fun game back and forth. And uh, just kind of wish we got to see that final play. Only, uh, only enhances the wit without uh, Taylor Swift uh, splits as I well. I told you she couldn't afford a flight to Germany. All right. That's uh, can't blame her. It's, uh, it's not a long easy. way. Like you want, they want to have a Super Bowl overseas. You can't get Taylor Swift over there. She's also, I mean, there. the time zone feels like the biggest issue there. What's that? I mean, you're gonna put a game, the Super Bowl on in Germany. It's gonna be like two a.m. No, can't do that. Don't want to do that. There, right. not here. No, I get it. Because obviously, you can't expect no, them to. I don't want move the time zone in uh, Eastern. Well, we're not talking about that. Time is what it is. All right, Chiefs move to seven and two. Uh, them and the Ravens sitting atop the AFC. As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Well, Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fall was... That's the other line that I don't have to read. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting health questions. Got all that? Mm-hmm. Great. Go check them out. Uh, Baltimore Ravens 37, Seattle Seahawks 3. 
I usually I usually try to, to do the double East Coast games first, mm-hmm. you know, just in case for the early risers. But um, since the Ravens moved to seven and two, like the Chiefs, I'm going to do that. But there was also a lot of East versus West Coast one o'clock games, so there's not a lot to choose from. And then two East Coast teams in a, in a 4 p.m. slot. What no, was it was that? a big mess. It's an absolute mess. What happened to the computer on that one? Uh, the computer yesterday, what they wanted was the game of the week, you see, on Fox, to be uh, front and center. And they got it, right? So they put Colts, uh, Panthers, and, and Giants, Raiders next to Cowboys, Eagles, which is what they wanted. So that's what the uh, algorithm did. Okay. All right, let's reset again. Baltimore Ravens, 37. Seattle Seahawks, 3. Another dominant outing. For the Ravens, there was a in every window yesterday. There was a battle of six and two teams, or five and two teams, five and yeah, well, good teams. It's like good teams. <sighs> I might not be able to think straight today, just so you know. Mm. Very little sleep. Doing my, I didn't get the steroid injection. No, either. It's not like draft night where I was going. You don't have one of those on standby just for rough days. <laughs> Imagine, got a show to do, <laughs> honey. Let's do it. Like an EpiPen, you know, just yeah. Uh, Ravens 37-3 talk yeah I mean by the way people think that we hate each other on the review shows because I think we're just I mean cranky and tired and sometimes we disagree like we don't see the game exactly the same way so we disagree on late last night I was anticipating quite a cranky Monday morning (laughs) the extra the extra hour thing is bullshit right because my circadian rhythm doesn't know that right this extra hour of sleep my body wakes up the same time it normally wakes up, only it's short an hour now, right? Because the clocks have gone back. Stayed up later. Yeah, so now you just end up, you get to the evening, and your body thinks, well, it's midnight now, only it is, and it's 11. I so, like it. The first morning's great. I feel like, wow, I just get that extra hour of sleep until you realize, wait, Sunday night football's starting. Yeah. What used to be 9 o'clock. Now exactly. So all that happened is I ended up watching an entire day's worth of football, you know, writing notes on it all. Did found time to do some uh, do a workout in the gym in the middle of it all, uh, you know all this stuff and there's an extra hour of like work involved at the end of it. So it's like 10, 11 p.m. I'm waiting for this game to wrap up Sunday night football. I'm like kind of cranky at this point and there's not a lot of sleep following this. I can imagine tomorrow is going to be quite cranky, yeah. but apparently the sleep has you know reset me and I'm okay. Anyway, yes, Seattle, you know, uh, got beat down really. Baltimore. Cooked. A lot of it was, I mean, every time he looked up, Geno Smith seemed to be either throwing the ball back to the defense, gifting the ball back to the defense, or taking a sack in some way. Like, it didn't, didn't look good from a Seattle offense point of view. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, Baltimore, I, bet I shouted out DVOA on the preview show that Baltimore you did. Um, as a team was looking good, but their defense, like the unit as a whole, looking really, really good. Geno Smith hit Geno Stone. With the interception, Geno Stone with his fourth straight game with a pick. Yeah, now leads the NFL, right, with six? Six, yes. He is having one of those – remember Jarius Bird when he led the NFL in interceptions and when yes. he sort of looked through them all? It's like, how does the ball just keep getting thrown to him? Like, you, you're like – it. you know, you hear all the time, oh, they, these things even themselves out, right? Over, over time it shakes out and everybody gets some of these gifts. And you're like, yeah, but it doesn't actually. Sometimes a guy goes through a season – and just gets the ball thrown at him randomly a whole bunch more than anybody else in the league. And that kind of appears to be happening to Geno Stone at the moment. I'm not saying Geno Stone isn't playing well, and you know he's making some of these plays all by himself, but he is having a freakish volume 
of wayward passes land themselves in his airspace this year? Uh, Baltimore just, yeah. I mean, so Geno Stone making plays. And look, every time Seattle was attempting a comeback, you know, Baltimore just kind of shut it down, man. It was, um, as you mentioned, negative plays. I mean, Kyle Van Noy had two sacks just before the half. If you look at the contributors for the Ravens, you have Jadavian Clowney, I don't want to say having a career year, but having a, another Clowney-type year where if you put him on a good defense, the pressures are going to rack up. He's a good, solid player. But Kyle Van Noy was on the couch until week four, and he's up at six sacks or something like that now as part of the Ravens. Um, other teams have these you know, random contributors, but the Ravens are really putting that all together. Contributors on the defensive side of the ball, and again, an offense that just... Um, the analogy I used yesterday, pitching analogy, of course, mm. like a pitcher that changes speeds. The Ravens having Lamar's speed to deal with, Zay Flowers in space, and then all of a sudden Gus Edwards running downhill, an offensive line that can block downhill. I appreciate um, somebody on Twitter highlighting Tyler Linderbaum's block. Somebody else had highlighted Linderbaum's block, and then somebody tagged me and said, playmaking center, right? Um, there's just so much to deal with with Multiple this Ravens blocks. offense. And now add Keaton Mitchell yeah. to the mix as well. So um, Ravens are cooking, man. Multiple blocks by Linderbaum. I mean, he, he decked somebody and then kept going and found a couple other guys yeah. to take out in that play as well. Really impressive. Uh, yeah, like the Ravens offensive line in this game was pretty insane. I mean, Ronnie Stanley had one play where Leonard Williams just like wrecked him, uh, drove him back into, I think, a trip and then, you know, decked it like properly put him on the ground the sort of reverse pancake and the boy mafe yeah so he had a couple of rough plays yeah. <clears throat> but that was it like he had two bad plays i think and that was basically the entirety of his almost nobody else in the offensive line gave up anything at all uh conversely on the other side i mean maybe the most important thing in this game jason peters played 10 snaps therefore we are not older than the oldest NFL player. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately for Seattle, that means that they had a tackle rotation of Stone Forsyth and Jason Peters and his 41-year-old ass. That's not going to help. Stone had been playing well. Yes. Until yesterday. But when you're, when you're Stone Forsyth, you're only ever, you know, days away from, oh, he played well being a past tense thing, not a, you know, a current and future prospect. Yeah, Seattle's offense is interesting there where Geno Smith had been – uh, under a bit of pressure, um, hadn't been um, he had been one of the best in the league at avoiding sacks uh, per pressure, which was not a not a strength of Geno Smith early in his career. We talk a lot about how that's a pretty stable metric, and you know the concerns with Sam Howell and how often he's getting sacked, and how that doesn't always go away. Geno Smith had been doing a better job, but in this game, as you said, um, outside of the, the one deep crosser to DK Metcalf for a big gain, mm -hmm. like Seattle really didn't have. Much else. A couple nice throws for Geno Smith, but as you mentioned, a couple turnover-worthy plays, a lot of negative plays, and just Baltimore's defense simply winning up front. And then, you know, Devin Duvernay, Duvernay with a big punt return in there. They just offensively um, and in special teams and defensively just put, to, put together a complete game. And they did it again against this time with Seattle. A couple weeks ago it was Detroit just beating up on teams that are supposed to be two of the best teams in the NFC. That was probably the most complete game by OBJ since, you know, the Super Bowl, I guess, where he got injured. Um, Tyler Huntley unlocking him? Yeah. To get into the end zone? Now, okay, he had, uh, like he had a fumble in there, right, as well. And I think he had a drop pass, but so it wasn't perfect. His grade's not going to be amazing. But, like, they were making plays. He led the team in terms of first down catches. 
OBJ was actually making some plays and suggesting that, hey, maybe maybe this is going to work out. Uh, by the way, so Keaton Mitchell, the, the rookie, he comes in, goes nine carries for 138 yards. The Ravens finish with 298 yards on the ground. That includes Niels and the whole deal. But Mitchell with 138. Lamar had 60. Gus Edwards had just five carries for 52. He did break, out, break off a 42-yarder in there as well, two touchdowns. And then Justice Hill had 40. But Keaton Mitchell adds a little juice to the picture here. I think it was Amina Kimes' favorite during uh, draft season. She was tweeting about him a lot and during the preseason. Just another dimension to this Ravens offense. Yeah, um, and not great for the idea of, you know, Seattle tries to add some, <laughs> some some stoutness to the middle of the defense with Leonard Williams for the trade deadline, and then they give up a million rushing yards. Yeah, I try not to overreact to the trade deadline moves. Like, oh, Leonard Williams didn't work out, and you know Montez Sweat didn't do much in his first game as a bear or whatever it might be. But, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it takes time for that to happen. I would just keep an eye on Mitchell. Ran a 4-3-7 undrafted free agent this year coming out of East Carolina. Yeah, 5'8", 191 with, with some juice, man. And, again, I, think, I just think that Ravens offense uh, shows all the different ways that they make life difficult for opposing defenses, and they did in this game. Uh, Lamar played pretty clean overall, too. There's a strip sack in there. I mean, this offense, as long as, as I, I was tweeting yesterday, as long as he's not fumbling, I'm not saying every fumble's his fault, but as long as he's not putting the ball on the turf, this, this offense has been really good this year. Yeah, and they're, they were also a, they are still a pretty sort of progressive offense in terms of going for it in fourth downs, so they're difficult to get off the field as well because even, yeah. even if they're getting close on first three downs, if they're in range and fourth, you know, with fourth down, they're, they've got a pretty good shot of going for it as well. You've got that extra down to try and stop them. So it can, like, they, you know, they, this is obviously a, a game that they had well in hand, and they're still going for it on fourth down and kind of piling on Seattle. All right, man, Ravens move to 7-2. and two. Uh, Seahawks fall to 5-3. and three. They, They're now tied with, uh, with the 49ers here for the top of the NFC West. Ravens sitting atop the AFC North, who, if the playoffs started today, Sam, the NFL would be out of a lot of money, mm-hmm. but also every AFC North team would be in the playoffs. Yeah, All four of them would be in the playoffs. The Ravens would have the number two seed as of today. So let's stay in the AFC North. Cleveland Browns 27, Arizona Cardinals 0. Wasn't a close game. No, no it wasn't. Um, but the Browns, as I mentioned, playoff team, they moved to 5-3. and three. Cardinals fall to 1-8. and eight. Clayton Toon... The rookie made his first start. It did not go so hot. And, uh, you know, sometimes on the preview show, we, we don't get it right. We didn't know Deshaun Watson was going to play. No. And, uh, and he did play, and he played pretty clean game. 19 of 30 for 219, two touchdowns, a couple of really nice passes to Amari Cooper. Uh, Amari finishes with five catches for a buck 39 and a score, including, I'll let you talk. I know you were excited about the touchdown. The batted pass touchdown. I mean, just a ridiculous play. It was ridiculous. Like he uh, threw the ball off a dude's helmet, and it ends up bouncing skyward into the hands of Amari Cooper, who makes a great play, actually. He he's tra- not, I mean, he tracked that thing down. Well, not Yeah, he's, he like tracked it down, ball. and he's not necessarily in best position of the various players around the ball to get it, but ends up going up and, and taking it away from a Cardinals defender to snag the touchdown. But just... like. Watson, it wasn't even a batted pass in, in the way that you usually see them, which is a guy jumps up, gets his hand there. He literally, it, he threw it. It was like the, uh, the replacements 
you know, Shane Falco, where he's angry at the, the defensive lineman that's kicking his ass and says, let him through, and just fires the ball right at his face. That was what <laughs> Watson did to a defensive tackle, just beamed him with the football, and instead the ball ends up like landing in the hands of Amari Cooper for a touchdown. It's beautiful design. Um, so, yeah, this was kind of a, a beatdown the whole way through. I mean, it wasn't even a beatdown. It was just Arizona could not do anything offensively. Uh, three turnover-worthy plays for Clayton Toon, a couple picks, fumble in there, and just dominate again by this Browns defense. Well, yeah. Um, was this a, a was this the most sort of overt tanking move that's been made by a team this season? Because So Arizona trades away Josh Dobbs at the trade deadline. So... And you're saying, okay, that makes some sense if you're going to start Kyla Murray, which you need to do at some point this season to see him and figure out what he's going to be. But instead, they're like, no, nah, we're going to give Clayton Tuna a run out first. I mean, was this a case where we don't want to put Kyla Murray out there against the Cleveland Browns defense this season because they've been amazing. So let's have one game for Clayton just to, you know, just to ease that transition. Like, Dob- the Dobbs thing needs to happen now because it's a deadline, right? right. So we've got to get rid of him now if we're getting rid of him to get anything back. We do that, and now it's like, well, your options are rookie fifth-rounder Clayton Toon or Kyler Murray against the best defense in the NFL. Maybe that's an unnecessary, you know. Sacrifice Toon to the Browns? Yeah, it's like we don't, like, Kyler Murray's knee, you know, he's coming back. We don't want to throw him out against this. So, unfortunately for you, Clayton, your career is going to be sacrificed on the altar of giving Kyler Murray one better game to come back against. I don't- I wouldn't call it a tanking move. I mean, the Cardinals, like, this is this is kind of what we expected the Cardinals to look like at the beginning of the season, except for Josh Dobbs elevated them and kept making them competitive every single week. Um, I just think it's a good, smart organizational – well, on one hand, I think it's just a smart move to just kind of see what you have, knowing you're not going to win anything this year. Hey, go ahead, get, get out there, Clayton. Let's see what you got. Right, get, they you already... some, get you some game experience. Here's the other thing, though, because we're going to talk a lot about Josh Dobbs later on. Was Kyler Murray ready? He'd, he'd practiced for two weeks, basically. And it's a new offense and the whole thing. And so you just, you, I think you want to do well by Kyler Murray. Now, on the other hand, I know Josh Dobbs picks up the playbook, you know, on the plane on the way to the game, you know, and he, and he, and he goes out there and figures it out. But there, there's probably this element of, okay, Kyler Murray's been cleared medically but we want to get him in game shape and game ready and maybe it's just like hey let's give him another week yeah i just don't know that i mean the idea of well you got to see what you have in clayton too number one it's one game so i don't know if you're learning anything from it but number two you already need to see what you have in kyla murray which is probably more important because he's got a much larger number attached to him and he's the potential starter going forward clayton toon would be a what if we stumble into a miracle thing low down in the draft? Uh, so, I, I mean, the reason I say tanking is they voluntarily got worse at quarterback this week and had the, had multiple options not to do that and instead chose to actually, we are going to go with the worst quarterback we can deliberately. Just make sure you sneak another loss in there. Toon was under pressure 17 times. Yeah. He went one for seven for one yard. Hmm. Sacked seven times. Three turn-of-worthy plays. There was a drop in there. It was not good. I don't know if it was a clear tank, but whatever. I don't hate it. So 17 out of 32 dropbacks yesterday under pressure for Clayton Toon. Not great. Yeah. 
So, yeah, Browns dominated. Miles Garrett still on pace to break the pass rush uh, grade record by a mile. And another game where a lot of people contributed. Jordan Elliott got to, you know, had a sack. Shelby Harris in there. Obo Okoronkwo had a big game. Browns defense dominated. Dalvin Tomlinson, three sacks. Tomlinson, everybody played well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Browns are tough, man. And then Watson, Watson threw the ball well. Was it um, the game before his injury was his best game? So he, Watson's two out, of, two out of Watson's last three starts were his best games as, as a Brown, basically. Um, the one in the sandwiched in the middle is when he had two picks on five attempts and got hurt again. Right. But overarching Deshaun Watson may be looking a little bit better and this was our big question mark coming into the season. We weren't expecting the Browns' defense to be this good. But if Watson just plays, you know, 75 PFF grade type of ball, yeah. they're, they're I mean, dangerous. If they get this version of Deshaun Watson for the rest of the season, the Browns are a very difficult team to beat because that defense is absolutely nasty. Now, Those this, are the words that I was trying to say. Yeah. Yes. Now, this came against the Arizona Cardinals, who, remember, heading into the season were like, this is the worst defense on paper I've ever seen. Now, maybe it's, maybe it's been better than that. <laughs> So far, but yeah. let's level set a little bit. Like this is a this is a pretty low bar to be clearing. Now he cleared it. That's great. But let's see how like how much room did he clear it with? How much harder does it get when we face real teams? You got anything else on this game? Uh, barbarian watch, no sacks. Good grade though. Didn't he have a good grade? Yeah, he had a few he'll, pressures. He'll grade well when it goes live. We're only interested in the sacks though, because there's a bet attached to that. Is he still sitting at four? Yeah, I think so. Since like week two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> four right out of the gate, and then nothing since. But he had, yeah, but you're right. This is a he did actually play a reasonable amount and get some pressure, which has not been an ever present uh, feature of his game this year. And you, you got to give the Zayvon Collins shout out. He got a few pressures as well. You are, you, are the, you are the foremost Cardinals expert in the national football media. Mm. They have to be the least watch team by national media i mean i was you were saying that yesterday and i was like ah, no 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 that's something i said to you offline that we don't admit oh yeah now now you're mr on or off the record that was off the record yes. okay i'm just saying the only reason to watch the cardinals is now in minnesota so true you know it's not but shocking for, that for transparency i said the cardinals might be the team that i've you know mentally paid attention to <laughs> the least out of any team this year uh-huh. is that fair I assume there's other people. I mean, fair They're or like otherwise. They're like the punters of NFL teams this year for me. Yeah. Fair or otherwise, it's, it's facts. I'm just spitting facts here. Mm-hmm. Who are the pretenders, though? Who are the contenders? We're more than halfway through the NFL season now, Sam, but DraftKings Sportsbook is still pumping out unbeatable offers every single game. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every single game here into November. As well, we get tonight's game, Chargers and Jets. You can get in on the football action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the app now and use code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Chargers, Jets, where's the line right now? Minus three and a half for the Chargers in New York. So yeah, go check that out with the DraftKings app. Gambling problem? Call. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf 
of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. Licensee partner, <laughs> Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Aunt. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.com, or sorry, see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football for terms, for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well done. Thank you. Rich Eisen wouldn't enjoy those terms and conditions. He's a big just terms and conditions apply guy. Yeah. And yet, you know, Rich, they're very specific with the DraftKings terms and Rich conditions. loves terms and conditions so much, or pushing people to them, mm-hmm. that he added terms and conditions to a read a couple weeks ago in the England game, the London game, that, um, that didn't even exist. Yeah. Because he finished the thing, he goes, I will assume that terms and conditions apply. Mm-hmm. They usually do. Yeah. I know that they do. All right, what other bad games can we get out of the way here? <laughs> or do we get to the good stuff? Go Packers 20, Rams 3. Oh. Speak. Uh, I Sorry, mean, I'm just – it's my worst show. It's my worst show in a while. I apologize. I apologize has, to everybody. Everybody has an off day. Uh, I mean, this game was farcical, like genuinely farcical. I mean – Sorry, let me finish the intro. Packers move to 3-5. and five. Rams fall to 3-6. and six. 23, Brett Rippon got the start for the Rams. Okay. That was important to get out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Just to remind people uh-huh. that's what happened. Uh, I mean, Green Bay win, and yet every time you looked up, somebody was making a terrible play on both sides of the ball. Uh, they had one of the most comical, cartoon-like turnovers I've ever seen in my life where who was it? Uh, it was Wicks, right? They – get the ball to Wicks out in the flat. It's first. It's like first and ten. It's not even like an important first down to reach for. And sort of falling backwards, he decides to extend to pick up the first down and hits the ground, falls over, hits the ground while doing it. And whilst the ground can't usually force a fumble, but it forces a, an incompletion, as people know, that's the, the caveat or exception to that is as long as there isn't a defender anywhere near you, in which case if you just fall over, and pop the ball off the ground, it can, in fact, force a fumble. And this one forced it right into the waiting hands of, who is it, Akello Witherspoon? Who just, like, like it li- from the sideline angle, it literally looks like he throws the ball at Witherspoon from the floor. He, like, falls over and then launches it at Witherspoon, who just catches it towards the sideline. It's like, <laughs> first down, and then, like, steps out of bounds. They are, they've reached, like, Looney Tunes type turnovers is what's happening in this Packers season at the moment. And yet a Brett Rippon led Rams offense was bad enough that it didn't matter. Yeah. Minus 0.52 EPA per play for the Rams yesterday on 55 offensive plays. Hmm. So um, the Rams lost half a point on average. Every snap. Every snap for 55 snaps yesterday. (laughs) That's the uh, that's the summation. Yeah, it was slightly better in the run game, yeah. where they had they were only minus point four nine, so okay. it was worse. It was worse in the pass game because you know the turnovers obviously skew that and just bad football in general. Yeah, um, Anthony Johnson, our boss Chris Collinsworth's first round potential safety who went in the seventh for the yeah. Packers got the start had a pick yeah. on one of those tips had a solid game. Um, you also saw from a Packers perspective, Carrington Valentine, another rookie cornerback, he had had a really impressive preseason, and they just traded Rasul Douglas, so it's, uh, it's Valentine time. 
Valentine. And he had a really nice game. He did, yeah. Now, again, you know, the reason why a lot of times <laughs> with defensive performances you say, well, consider the competition. You do that more for defense than you do offense because, you know, defensive production is a little bit more dependent on, you know, you're playing Brett Rippon. Yeah. But for right now, be encouraged. Valentine had a good game, forced three incompletions on nine targets. Yeah. Uh, well, if you strip out no plays, eight targets, one catch for 14 yards. I hate the no plays. I hate stripping it out. And three forced incompletions. That's a yeah. pretty good day. One for eight, three finks. For, yeah, <laughs> three finks. Uh, for any DB, uh, Jair, Alexander, Jair Alexander with a bit of a bounce back game as well. It gave up a little bit more, but, you know, had some production on the ball himself. Uh, Kella Witherspoon obviously gets decent grade because of the ball thrown his way uh, towards the sideline. Just a weird game. Okay, so we're at the point of the season. We don't have to talk about every game that long. Oh, right? Okay. Aren't we? Sure. Right? I, Are we live still? A little bit, yeah. Um, so the Matthew Stafford injury obviously was an issue. We'll see if he'll bounce back right now. But look, Green Bay played really well up front. Um, stopped the Rams' run game. I had mentioned, EPA per play-wise, the Rams were number two in the NFL from a run game perspective. Royce Freeman finishes with 12 carries for 32 yards. Daryl Henderson, 10 carries for 19. They couldn't get anything going on the, uh, on the ground. And it's kind of like what they needed, right? They needed to just take as much pressure off Brett Rippon as possible. Unable to get that. And so Rams struggled moving the ball. Yeah. Green Bay took care of business up front. Carl Brooks making some plays. Two batted, ba- two batted passes. A couple of pressures in there as well. Best Jordan Love game of his career. Best Jordan Love Potentially. game of his career. Yeah. Just saying. I mean, he hit hit the open throws this time. Luke Musgrave open. Had a wide open touchdown as well. Um, got Christian Watson making a contested catch down the field. You got to see a little bit from Green Bay's playmakers. As you mentioned, you take out – I mean, you take away some of the, the I mean, weird mean, you take turnovers. away the Acme turnover. Yeah, and, and it was a act- much cleaner yeah. game for the Packers right. offense. This was actually a game where they had relatively few – Mistakes. I mean, they had one drop pass. They had the Acme turnover. Um, but outside of that, it was a much cleaner game. And, you know, is, again, competition. Is there a correlation between this was a terrible Rams team and all of a sudden Green Bay isn't making a bunch of ridiculous mistakes that kill them every time they, they try and drive an offense? Or do they simply have a game where they didn't have those mistakes and actually the offense looks better? I mean, these are these are the questions you have to ask about the Packers' offense. Like, Bad mistakes collectively have been killing them all season long. And then the first time that doesn't happen, they win a game relatively comfortably, uh, even with, you know, a a Looney Tunes cartoon turnover. We'll see if this can uh, be a bit of a turn-the-corner play here for the the Packers. They get the Steelers next week, then the Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs over the next four weeks. So we'll see if this can spark the Packers a little bit. I also think it brought to light – just what Matthew Stafford's been doing this year. You know, mentioned a few times over the last few weeks, the stats aren't great, but I think Stafford's playing extremely well. Tons yeah. of big-time throws and doing a great job. Like, like The Rams were fun to watch in a year where it felt like this rebuild where they had a couple good players like Stafford, and without him out there, completely different looking. He's team. having the season that I think people always said he had in Detroit. Which is yeah. like, God, Matthew Stafford is carrying this thing, this like bereft, awful offense that has no business being on an NFL field except Matthew Stafford. 
God, would the Lions please do the man, you know, a favor or give him the help that he needs? And actually, if you look at what it was around him in Detroit, a lot of the times it was actually pretty good, both from a offensive line and receiving standpoint. I don't, I don't know that it was ever necessarily true in Detroit, but it has been this year in, in Los Angeles. I mean, okay, he's got Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua, but the offensive line is bad. The offense overall isn't good. And yet Stafford is playing out of his mind and, and making the thing function. All right, we'll do um, a couple more games. We'll save the, the big stories for a little bit here. because we'll, To me, the big stories, Joshua Dobbs in Minnesota, C.J. Stroud in Houston. We'll, we'll tease that. It's coming up. People know it's coming up because we haven't gotten to that yet. But first, let's go Washington Commanders 20, New England Patriots 17. Commanders move to 4-5, and five, which puts you square dead smack in the middle of the NFC playoff push mm. at 4-5 and five for Washington. Patriots fall to 2-7. and seven. Washington got up early, 10-0. Uh, Brian Robinson fumble kind of got New England back into the game. Uh, New England scored the next 17 points. They're up 17-10. to 10, But Sam Howell with a dot to Jahan Dotson for a 33-yarder. And then they go up for good with a field goal late in the third quarter. Neither team scores in the fourth. And uh, Washington holds off. New England's comeback attempt with a Mac Jones interception, Juju Smith-Schuster with a drop on that last play, and the Commanders move to four and five here. Yeah, fun game actually. Given, it was, you know, given that neither of the teams are particularly good and <laughs> the various things you've described. Uh, Washington having traded away both their edge rushers no longer have an edge rush presence, which is unfortunate for them, but. You know, these are these these are the risks you take when you trade away both your starting defensive ends. They also did get screwed by one of the worst roughing the passer calls I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it would have been a bad call had the ball been thrown. But when you consider that the ball was still in Mac Jones' hands at the time and is therefore known as a sack, colloquially, the fact that they threw a flag on that and said it's roughing the passer is genuinely mind-blowing. Uh, but I'm this is... The NFL world we live in at the moment. Anti um, anti talk about the refs guy over here, but I got a lot to sh- I got a lot to say here today. Yeah. That was horrendous. Yeah, that was so bad. KJ Henry literally just tackled Mac Jones. Yes. So the only thing that happened is it it happened to be on the blind side. Yes. He couldn't see it. But this wasn't even your weight fell on him. No. Like I get the weight thing. That's now, what I'm saying. Right. If we have was... been conditioned to don't Siragusa. <laughs> The sack, right? right? Don't belly flop on the sack. But, like, if the ball had been gone, it still would have been a ridiculously harsh roughing the passer call because he didn't drive him down in the turf. He didn't fall on him with all this weight. He, like, you know, was sort of easing off, et cetera. Again, the frustration frustration with these calls, Sam, this one and then the Josh Allen intentional grounding, is you throw all the officials in a room, right? Forget – Forget Terry on the, I don't know what Terry was saying on the broadcast last night and whoever, you know, I, I, this is what he was looking at. And, you know, you kind of see what they were seeing. And, like, you try to, like, defend the refs on the field or whatever you're doing. You throw all the refs in a room and you say, KJ Henry has just sacked Mac Jones. Let's watch this play. Mm. Show me, like, what do you guys see? And they all say, nothing. Yeah. And then in one game, randomly, they call it a roughing the passer. It's, it's horrendous. That part of it. And I know they're doing a lot more, you know, talk to New York or talk to Sky Judge Guy or whoever it is and, like, just kind of get some things right. Yeah. Like, you have time. If you threw the flag for that, somebody can get in your ear and be like, no, man, you missed it. It's okay. Just pick up the flag. They do this all the time. 
There's no flag for roughing the passer. And they say what the no flag is for. Yeah. They say for roughing the passer, meaning someone thought there was roughing the passer at one point. Mm-hmm. And you know what? People, people love you getting it right. They love when you get it right. Somebody called this roughing the passer. Well, we just called down and said it wasn't. Ah, there's, no, there's no flag for roughing the passer. Great. It's way worse when everybody's like, tweeting it out and talking about like, hey, look at this. They called this roughing, you idiots. That's way worse than picking up a flag that you know is bad. Pick up the flag. That's all. Yeah. This was one of the worst roughing the passer calls I've ever seen in my life. There have been uh, there have been worse roughing the passer calls relative to the fact that the ball was gone. You know, like when the ball is thrown yeah. away. You got like the late push. Yeah. And yeah. so there have been weaker roughing the passer calls. But when you consider he had the ball, he was sacking the quarterback. The weak, this is one of the worst roughing the passer calls I've ever seen. The weak roughing the passer calls are the weak late hit. It's like a timing thing. Yeah. There's the it's like the graze of the face mask. Yeah. Which probably happens a few times per game, and then and again, you just kind of like pick or choose when it's in there. The graze of the face mask. Um, Grady Jarrett throwing Brady to the ground last year, which wasn't even it was, that was a tackle, right? Because again, QBs get thrown to the ground all the time, so you can't just pick and choose when you're going to call it. But this really might be the worst. I, I honestly don't – this could be the worst roughing call I've ever seen yeah. and the worst intentional grounding I've ever seen, all within four hours of each other. Pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of bad intentional calls. Anyway, we, maybe we'll get to that. But point being, they had a sack taken away from them with an egregious call, but that was basically their only pressure of the day, effectively. They weren't uh, – they, they didn't have that edge rush presence that they had when they had two much better edge rushers. So that was an issue. Um, do you want to talk the Sam Howell experience? Dude, Sam Howell is just amazing to watch. I'll let you go in a second here, but there was a point in the game yesterday where I tweeted, and so he hits Jahan Dotson with that deep touchdown, right? Mm-hmm. There was a point in, in the slate of games yesterday where Sam Howell had maybe the best throw of the day, which was to Dotson for a touchdown. The best scramble of the day, which was third and 23, and you could say it was bad tackling by New England, but he converted a third and 23, uh-huh. you know, running through dudes. And also, so best pass, best scramble, and worst interception right before the half. And throws it right to the defense in the end zone. And most insane completion I've ever seen. He had like a full – remember when we were, the, the other day when um, Brock Purdy had two like Brett Favre-esque crazy roll to the right, blindly heave it back into the middle of the field things – and you're like those were like 09 NFC Championship game, Brett Favre game losing plays. He had two of them and somehow completed the ball on both attempts. Uh, Sam Howe had one in this game that was what Brock Purdy did on steroids. It was like uh, Blitzer coming right up the middle, right through the A gap. He rolls to the right and then not even off his, off his back foot doesn't do justice for what this was. In the air, running away from a guy. He turns his body full 180 degrees and lofts one back towards the other side of the field. Like, the dictionary definition of suicidal insanity from a quarterback. And somehow, not only was it complete, but whoever caught it, was it uh, whoever caught the ball, only took it away from another diving Washington player. Somehow, multiple receivers had a shot at this, and there wasn't a... New England defensive back within 10 yards of it. It was just one of the most crazy completions I've ever seen, let alone, you know, this year or in a Sam Howell game. 
Yeah. He's awesome, man. That's Josh Allen light type of stuff. So before the, so before the game, uh, Ron Rivera said something to the effect of, hey, we may have found our franchise quarterback. And, you know, I'm, I'm always – what is the franchise quarterback, right? Are you finding a guy that you feel pretty good about as your starter? Is it just a starter, cal- starting caliber guy? If you're ranking quarterbacks in your head, is it top 10, top 15, top 20? I feel like a lot of teams, you know, you hit the top 20 and it's like, oh, we got a starter. We've got a guy we could build around. Um, there's also some of our friends, or maybe, you know, football media people who are like, eh, that's a little crazy. It takes too many sacks. Hmm. And if you only look at Sam Howell through the lens of the sacks, which we would all agree, his egregious sack totals this year are far more on him than anything else. But I think he could still be their guy despite that. Despite the, you know this, this really big flaw, the fact that he's had some horrendous games this year. It's his first year as a starter. There'll yeah. be some ups and downs. But has he shown enough that he should be the guy for Washington? I think to this point, at least on the rookie contract, yeah. I think you could say, hey – Let's build a team around him for a couple of years and see. And knowing that I'm I, personally, I'm always having an eye toward like cheating on this guy, right? I'm always going to look for other people. But for now, like rookie contract Sam Howell, I don't think is an egregious team building decision. He he's Which, in a, he only has two more years under his contract. Yeah, yeah, so he's in a really interesting situation because um, he, his future is probably tied quite closely to Ron Rivera who is one of these guys being talked about as, you know, is he still going to be there next year? Because new ownership, you trade away both your starting defensive ends, you know, are they going to have a general manager opening at the end of the season? Like, are we going to completely overhaul this thing? Or is this going to be more of a long-term transition? Like what the Ron Rivera, you know, saying we found our guy in Sam Howell. I mean, Rivera has been pretty steadfastly from day one, talking up Sam Howell. Like, remember in the offseason when it was first being mooted that Sam Howell was this team's quarterback this year, everybody thought he was crazy or lying, right? That, yeah, he might be saying that, but there's no way they're actually going to do that, roll into the season with Sam Howell as a starter. You know, the, the, the reports were when they were interviewing offensive coordinators, they were saying, just so you know, this is your starting quarterback. Now let's proceed with the interview. And again, nobody really believed it until – the moment I was sold was when they signed Jacoby Brissett, right? Which was like, okay, that's actually the move you make if you think Sam Howe is going to be your starter. Like, he's, he's a pretty good insurance policy, but he's not, you're not giving Jacoby the starting job unless Sam Howe simply cannot do it. So, he, from pretty early, he's been saying, this is the guy. He is fairly well tied to Sam Howell. But if Ron Rivera isn't there and the ownership doesn't believe in him or the new general manager doesn't believe in him, if there's going to be one, then he probably, I don't know if he starts. Um, But I would argue that he has shown at least as much, if not more, than Justin Fields had last year at the point where the Bears were like, all right, let's try and build around Justin Fields now as opposed to, you know, stripping the roster around him. Um, And... You have that benefit of, well, if you do want to commit to him, at least for the next couple of years, he's on no money because he's got the fifth round rookie contract as opposed to the number, you know, whatever, a top draft pick uh, contract. So, and the other thing is, I think you're right to bring up the point of he's still a crazy young, inexperienced starter. So, yes, the sack thing is a fairly crippling flaw in his game at the moment. It's also a flaw that's been there 
throughout his entire career. Like you go back to college and people were drawing circles around Sam Howell on graphs saying this is a problem. This is an unusual trait as a quarterback and not a good one. Uh, this is a potential red flag. And you can argue that's why he slid all the way to the fifth round. But um, number one, it is something you can probably work on. And frankly, it feels like an easier thing to try and fix than, hey, you just can't play, right? Like you can't read, you can't make plays, you're not instinctive, you don't know where to put the ball. Like those are all things I'm not sure I can do anything with. Just simply trying to work a little bit on when to get the hell rid of the football feels like a slightly smaller problem. Um, The other thing is, I mean, it's very early, but there's been signs that he's getting a little bit better at it. I mean, the Patriots would be the type of defense where you'd say, all right, Sam Howell's going to get sacked eight times because New England are going to throw all kinds of weird stuff at him. He's not going to know what the hell's happening. And instead, you get plays like that craziest completion I've ever seen where he gets out of it and gets rid of the ball. Okay, it's a weird way of doing it, but he doesn't take a sack, right? And those were plays that typically he would have taken a sack. And you look at Washington's offensive line, it – I don't think we've charged it with a sack. So the sacks that happened were either on Sam Howell or a combination, an unblocked breakdown, whatever. But it was only three, not nine. On 53 dropbacks. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Sam Howell has dropped back, dropped back 48 times more than any other quarterback this year. So we, he has actually been thrown into the fire with a team that's like, we're going pass first, whether you're ready or not. And there's some game flow things and the whole deal. But, but those would only if you're ready it. or not, yeah. Um, big time throw rate is one of the best in the league, if not the best. Uh, he's behind a couple couple quarterbacks, but he's over six percent. I don't know. We can talk for a while about Sam Howell, but there's there's an intriguing skill set there because I believe the football analytics community is. Uh, the, the new the new hot thing is like let's just talk about sack avoidance, right? Which is a which is an important thing in a in a pretty sticky stat year over year. But you always talk about uh, continuums and you know sliders and all that stuff. If you're taking a ton of sacks and you're Joe Burrow, it's okay, right? And Joe Burrow's grown out of that a little bit. I'm not saying Howell's at that point, but Aaron Rodgers took too many sacks throughout the majority of his career. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Ryan Tannehill. Um, that's a whole continuum of different levels of quarterback who had some level of success. I think Howell can be there. This isn't – he's also not making throws, right? Yeah. This isn't like what the way Daniel Jones has played this year. There's all sorts of negative plays and sacks, but he's also not making a ton of good plays either. Like there's nothing good there. Sam Howell, there's some, some intrigue there. So mm-hmm. I thought he played an excellent game. Had some other – you know, De'Ami Brown in the end zone threw his hands and some other just misses – on big-time throws in this game, also had the egregious interception. So uh, maybe Sam Howell will end up being this roller coaster ride type of quarterback, which, by the way, the roller coaster mid-tier, volatile quarterback, again, on a rookie contract, is a guy that you can kind of win with. Now, when it comes to payday, and do you want to give this guy whatever it's going to be in three years, $40 million, $50 million, then you have a discussion. But up until that point, it looks like Sam Howell, it's not a bad rookie contract starter. He leads the entire NFL in big-time throws by two. I mean, volume-wise, yeah, he's got 50 more dropbacks than anyone yeah, else. Yeah, but like— I get it. No, I get it. I mean, he's pretty high in big-time throw rate. But yeah, he actually six. has more, two more big-time throws than any other quarterback yeah. in the NFL. Like, we are not talking about a guy that, yes, has this fatal flaw of sack magnetism— um, 
and occasionally makes a nice throw, right? Like occasionally makes a big play. He is fairly consistently dropping dimes all over the place. And by the way, that's not even factoring in the runs that he has, which are pretty significant. Like, I, you don't, we don't track it this way, but I wonder what his sort of big time run rate is where he's making like a, not just a positive play, not just a small scramble here or there that's doing something, but like a crazy pinballing play where he gets out of chaos and like a really impactful scramble. I mean... Yesterday's 24-yarder on third and 23. Yeah, like yeah. his his high-end play has been extremely good. And I don't think his baseline is terrible. It's just he's taken, you know, 15 more sacks than any other quarterback in the NFL. Now, part of that is because Daniel Jones got hurt and stopped keeping pace with him. But still, like those two are way above anybody else. And that it, it's it's a wild dynamic of a quarterback to watch. But... It's really fun. If, if my Arizona Cardinals viewing is down here, our Sam Howell discussion time is, you know, if, are people tracking these things? Probably. We may have talked about Sam Howell more than any other quarterback this year. Um, from a Patriots perspective, they fall to 2-7. and seven. Uh, A few weeks ago we talked about the sky falling. I guess it just continues to fall. Um, as of now, uh, if the draft was today, they'd be picking fifth mm. in New England. Mac Jones with an absolute bomb. Right through the hands of Jalen Rager, who yeah. remains Jalen Rager. Mac Jones' two best throws this year, probably Devontae Parker in the Raiders game through his hands mm. and through Jalen Rager's hands yesterday. Yeah. Both incomplete. And I'm not saying Mac Jones is playing well this year. I don't think he's played great at all. No. But that kind of sums up New England. He also had a really good throw to DeMario Pop Douglas. And... Got it up and away from coverage. That one fell incomplete, too. And then the last throw of the game. Like, Mac was having this discussion with Seth at the game last night. Mac Jones, if you put him in Kyle Shanahan's offense, would he have Brock Purdy-like success? I think it would be close. I've said that before. It would at least be close, yeah, if not great. And um, you see the tight window throw Mac Jones makes in the, the comeback attempt. It went that last pass on the broadcast. Like, oh, man, you can't make that tight window throw in this time of game. It went through Juju's hands and tipped up for an interception. So that kind of sums up New England this year. Uh, Mac Jones hasn't played well most of the year, and then when he makes good throws, they're going to fall incomplete anyway, and New England cannot do anything effective offensively other than a 64-yard run from Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, which was so ama- – like somebody must have blown a gap or something on that. It was yeah, he just ran straight. so incredibly wide open as a running lane. He just yeah had w- just nothing but real estate in front of him. Which is also another good example. Sometimes it's the defense. Yeah. Even though you get all the offensive stats. 20 to 17, Washington wins. New England looking like a top five pick as of today. Uh, New Orleans Saints 24, Chicago Bears 17. Saints move to five and four, commanding lead in the NFC South now. And Bears fall to two and seven. Tyson Bajant got the start again, had uh, three picks, four turnover worthy plays. Uh, QBR loved him this week because he had some runs. He had 70 yards on the ground. QBR loved mm. agents. Those interceptions were kind of rough, though. Yeah. Saints starting to round into form. They didn't finish the game. They had a they had a, a field goal to go up 10 late that they doinked, and it was still close. But we're creeping back, creeping up toward where the Saints should be, and in part because we know they don't have a great schedule. But this should be the time to maybe. Uh, Create some space in the NFC South for New Orleans. Who was the quarterback that was reminding you at draft time of Jimmy G? Not Bajent. 
No, but I'm starting to get Jimmy G vibes from Bajan, which is like between the boneheaded mistakes, uh, it's it's good. Like he he's quite efficient. Well, I had Tua as Jimmy as a Jimmy G. Yeah, mom. he's quite sort of efficient and game managery, and then you just get this ridiculous interception. It's like, come on, you can't, you know. Well, well, two of them. So the the three interceptions. One was a pretty bad misread. The first one, the other two, were just inaccurate. Yeah. It was man coverage. It was tight man coverage. Just left him behind. Two in a row. Very similar. Um, either way, they're they're bad putting the ball in harm's way that. I mean, he did have the 70 yards on the ground. He had a couple nice scrambles. I thought you know, early on it was Cole Komet looking like Gronk at the catch point. Um, Komet ends up with two touchdowns. Nice scheme on the other one. But um, I don't know. Bears, Bears were interesting in this game, right? Dar- Darnell Mooney had a huge gain on a screen. He had some juice because he, he's fast. He looked fast yesterday. Commits, you know, mossing people, Bajent's doing a little scrambling and making some plays, but the turnovers ended up being a huge, huge factor in this one. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of my way of saying every game I've been, I, like, there's something to Bajent. Like, I'm kind of impressed by him, but then he just makes it hard to go to bat for him with, a, with the turnovers, like, which are <laughs> quite a high volume. And it's not like, you know, Sam Howell could make quite a lot of turnovers because of his, you know, the big plays are there. And you can at least make that Jameis argument of we're doing a lot of good for every bad thing we do here. Uh, whereas Bajan, it's like, you know, you're, you're functional and this is working and we're moving the ball and it looks okay. But you can't, you won't do a lot of that when you make one of these turnovers. And if you have three of them in a game, it's pretty hard to go to bat for you here. Um, but, like, the offense does look functional when he's out there, and there are other people within the system are making plays just as long as he isn't turning the ball over. It's a tough thing to figure out as far as, like, Bajent and his future. And, again, I I don't – I haven't seen enough where I'm like, man, I want that guy as my starter. Right. But I've seen enough where I'm like, all right, this guy could have a career backup. I mean, I do think it's becoming a question, though, which guy do you want to see more from? For the next, for the second, like the next nine games. Or oh, I want to. I still want to see Fields. I, I mean, I think you've reached the point where you've given up on Fields. Potentially, I, but I want, I want, I want Fields to maybe increase his value. His I don't trade know value. That he's doing that though. Playing. I don't know that playing games helps Justin Fields' trade value at this point. I don't given know. I thought he, he did last year. I thought he improved his value down the down the stretch. But if you're the Bears and you are looking at, you know, you're probably going to draft a quarterback at the top of the draft. Now you have whatever this is, eight games to essentially either get more information on one of the two quarterbacks you have on the roster at the moment, or as you say, try and put one of them in the shop window more. I, I think Bajan is the more relevant guy to get info on. Because A, he's probably the guy you could keep as a backup and getting an idea of what he is is, is quite useful. B, given the leap he's making of Division two to NFL starter, I mean, he's a guy who's growth curve could happen quite quickly and see again I, I don't think Justin Fields playing football games is helping his value um, the the thing that it reminds me of remember when Jalen Hurts took over for Carson Wentz and Philadelphia's offense felt better mm-hmm. and it looked better and they scored more points but he also always had three or four turnover worthy plays a week yeah and as we do here on the PFF NFL podcast we'd be like hold on everybody I know you think you're seeing some good stuff from Jalen Hurts, but let's uh, let's throw some cold water on that and tell you about these four turnover-worthy plays that he had, which was all true, right? We weren't lying about this. However, maybe Jalen Hurts isn't the best comp because that dude has continued to progress 
every year of his career, and he's done some really impressive stuff. But early Jalen Hurts, it's like there was a spark, there was this thing, but there was a lot of mistakes. One of the biggest challenges, I think, in evaluation is saying, when do those bad things, when do they grow out of them? Because like, if we went back in hindsight, we'd be like, yeah, Jalen Hurts is sparking the offense, and he's going to grow out of these mistakes, basically. And he did. I mean, that's hindsight. Can Bajan do that? Like, there's a little spark for the offense. It's not necessarily showing up on the scoreboard, but there's a little spark. But we've got to get rid of some of these mistakes that he's made over these last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And if he does that, there's something there. Yeah. Now, there's, for every Jalen Hurts, there's other QBs who just never progressed or got better. Right. But that's why I think Bajan's intriguing, and it's like, hey, I'm okay with him as my backup going forward. We'll draft another guy, but I wouldn't mind showcasing fields for a little bit if I'm the, if I'm the Bears. Um, Paulson Adebo made a ridiculous peanut punch turnover. Um, we had an incredible game. He's had a few games this season where he's just made some insane plays. He has. Like high leverage, turnovers, forced fumbles, these kinds of things. Another game here where he gave up you know, a little bit of yardage, uh, some catches, but he had multiple turnovers. Just a crazy performance from Adebo. And this, you know, the Saints defensive backs collectively are having that kind of season where they are constantly challenging receivers, constantly making plays on the ball, forcing fumbles, forcing interceptions. Uh, Marcus May, one of the interceptions on Bajan, you know, as you said, bad accuracy left behind him, but what a break by Marcus May on that ball to pick it off. Yeah, that was a really good play. Um, and then, you know, the Taysom Hill package, they get into the red zone, big run, touchdown pass. You, you pointed out the, uh, the double on Colin fame. Saunders. Oh, uh, yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, doubling a defensive tackle is probably not great red zone defense. Probably not great. Uh, uh, did you see the other stat, though? Taysom Hill just putting himself in the Hall of Fame along with these other people. Oh, what did he do? Uh, i got to find it. Hang on. Here we go. Uh, Taysom Hill recorded – this is ESPN Stats and Info. Taysom Hill recorded his 10th career reception touchdown. He's the fifth player in NFL history to have at least – 10 passing, receiving, and rushing touchdowns in their career. And he's the first since Frank Gifford in 1964. I was going to say, it's got to be all guys from the 50s. <laughs> yeah, but the previous four players to do it are all in the Hall of Fame. There you go. I'm just saying the precedent has been set. People made fun of Sean Payton. <coughs> but he just they drafted left. a Hall of Famer. They drafted at Sean Payton. Acquired. They drafted a 30-year-old Hall, future Hall of Famer, basically. Yeah. And Taysom Hill. I mean, his resume speaks for itself. It's right up there with four other Hall of Famers, all of which happened before 1964. The thing I can't figure out for the fifth straight year, how do you bottle up the good Taysom Hill games and use them at the right time? Because there's certain times where it's like, hey, the Saints are struggling in the red zone, but Taysom goes out there, he has 52 rushing yards yesterday. He, he, has, the, he has the red zone touchdown pass, mm-hmm. right? Um, and catch. And, catch, and catches one. And, and so sometimes he is the antidote to all of your red zone woes. And this is what makes me so intrigued by the Saints. They play this tough defense where they have a game like yesterday. Yeah, they gave up some plays, but they could turn it over, make in contest passes. And then you've got the playmakers on offense that have been waiting for them to all get unlocked all year. Then you might have this Taysom Hill red zone package that is difficult to stop. Once every eight weeks. I mean, that's what's intriguing about the Saints. But, you know, last couple of weeks, Carr's playing a little cleaner brand of football. There's not as many miscommunications. So um, credit the Saints, man. I think they're rounding into form and also taking advantage of the schedule here. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, 
one of the touchdowns or the, the touchdown pass from Taysom Hill was that play where Chicago double teams a defensive tackle and doesn't cover the white the receiver that scores. Because the tight end's playing quarterback, you don't know how to how do you right how do you but so on that play that? they double teamed a defensive tackle. And by the way, it's not like you could be confused sometimes in this world this modern world of numbering system right a defensive tackle might be wearing a weird number that looks like a receiver no this is a dude wearing number 99 and is quite obviously from shape a defensive tackle anyway you double team that guy they also double teamed the obvious blocking tight end in the game you know one of these guys that looks like an offensive tackle but wears like number 87 or whatever so they double teamed those two guys and the the one player who's sort of obviously like the most capable receiving threat on the field is the one that's wide open in the back of the end zone. It's like, you know, okay, this is not a Taysom Hill problem here. This is a structural breakdown in defense problem. Well, yeah, the Bears' defense isn't great. Uh, Bears right now sitting at 2-3. and three. Carolina's pick in their own pick. 2-3 uh, and three in the draft. Arizona picking number one. It's about that time. We'll be, we'll be updating. The, uh, the draft order probably every single week here Okay. for the rest of the year. I mean, how dramatic was that last year? Bears and Texans. No, it doesn't really matter. Texans got number two and they got C.J. Stroud, mm. right? Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Got to tell you about our friends over at AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I'm going to need some. Again, I might double up today, right? You get the first thing in the morning and maybe a little, I might double up. Later today, because I'm not, you know, I'm a little tired. I'm sure it'll help as well. Got to give AG1 a try. Drink it in the morning with my caffeine. That's what I do. Makes me feel great. Feel unstoppable. Feel like I'm doing something good for my body, Sam. And giving my body the nutrition it craves. Like I'm covering my nutritional basis. That's what you get with AG1. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And it's a huge part of that. It starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them drink AG1, and that's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving setting ourselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity here on the PFF NFL Podcast. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. A win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL Podcast. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. All right, in the 1 o'clock slate, two monster stories. Start with Minnesota. Vikings win 31-28 against the Atlanta Falcons. Jaron Hall got the start, got concussed after just uh, going 5 of 6 for 78, had a 47-yarder to Alexander Madison in there, um, gets hit pretty hard on the scramble. Jaron Hall, concussion. Joshua Dobbs, who they just traded for as an insurance policy for Kirk Cousins earlier in the week, comes in, and Dobbs does it again, man. 
short playbook. I mean, there's also I'll, I'll let you break down the whole story and everything. But Dobbs, I mean, it wasn't perfect. There were some ugly plays in there. Dude was you know fumbling and whatever. But just unbelievable down the stretch to lead the comeback against the Falcons. So the Vikings started 0-3, now moved to 5-4. Falcons fall to 4-5. Joshua Dobbs, just unbelievable what this guy has done in the last calendar year on multiple teams with little preparation, just going out and playing some pretty solid football. Yeah, so... The game starts, and Jaron Hall's actually looking pretty good, you know, as yeah. the, the starter. Making some plays, a big drive for the team, and then trying to get in on a, a scramble or a run down at the goal line. He gets tackled by two guys, and he was hit hard, but it was a two-a-head bouncing off the turf thing. It was the, the turf part, yeah. So the second guy coming in to hit him and stop his forward progress sort of drives him over the guy tackling him low, and his head cracks down off the turf backwards, and it's the sort of classic to a concussion. Immediately, everybody's like calling for medical professionals, and you're like, uh-oh, he's done. I mean, that's, that's probably a knockout. He's, he's out, right? And very quickly, they ruled him out, so Josh Dobbs is in. Now, <laughs> this, is, this is Josh Dobbs' fifth NFL team since week 15 last year, right? One of them twice. So it's a sixth different move since week 15 last year. November the 28th last year. So less than 12 months ago, he was waived by the Cleveland Browns. And that started this nomadic trek throughout the NFL he's been on. Um, he ends up going in this game. Now, it looked immediately like, oh, this is going to be a catastrophe. So right away, he's like facing third and 12 in his end zone safety, which not a great Josh Dobbs play. Like, he probably could have got out of the end zone, but didn't. Yeah. Safety. It was third and 11 the next drive. There's a fumble in there. Like, this was like, oh, this is Katie. Yeah. Forced the fumble. It's like, this is going to be just a nightmare, a catastrophe. He's not ready. He doesn't know what he's doing. The whole thing's a disaster. And then the thing that really started to change it, he also got, like, he got K.J. Osborne knocked out by the looks of it as well. It was a high pass over the middle. He got crunched by two guys, and he's KO'd. The thing that really seemed to change it was, so the Falcons aren't really putting any points on the board while this is all happening, other than the safety, obviously. But there was a crazy scramble that Dobbs had where I forget where the ball started off, but pretty close to the goal line. And he ends up backing up all the way to the 32-yard line before he starts moving forwards and ends up getting all the way around the corner of the defense, tiptoeing down the sideline, diving, picks up a first down uh, on this play where he backed up all the way to the 32, then gets a, a touchdown. Now we're right back in the game, right? So this whole thing started with these Josh Dobbs scrambles, and that, that's what we've been talking about. We said that when he moved to Minnesota. We've said that sort of throughout the Cardinal season. He's been one of the most effective scrambling quarterbacks in the NFL. And whatever about not being Kirk Cousins as a passer, he brings this to the table that Kirk Cousins never did, right? He can scramble and turn plays that are dead into positive plays. And you got that first scramble that started it. He had a scramble touchdown later on. He gets the he gets his safety back with a two-point conversion as well. Like he Josh Dobbs ends up doing this thing, and then right in the final drive, he makes a couple of big plays as well and finds, you know, a guy he had a crazy another crazy scramble on like fourth and seven fourth where and it seven. looked like he was dead and buried somehow fought his way out of the the contact and got the first down 
and then the touchdown to win it. The fourth and seven scramble was one of the great red zone moments. Um, I happened to have red zone on at the time. I, I have, by the way, I don't, I don't want to derail it, but it was a nice day to have the multi view had the right options yesterday to have the seven games plus red zone. But I was on red zone for that at the same exact time that Dobbs was converting a fourth and seven scramble. Baker Mayfield was converting a fourth and three or something scramble on game-winning drive attempts. It was a great red zone moment. And great, you know, Scott Hansen does such a such a great job, like keeping the energy and uh, you know just directing the action across all the games. But Dobbs fourth and seven scramble at the same time Baker Mayfield had his. Um, but that was it, man. That was that spark that Dobbs had, and I think that's. Um, there's been a few quarterbacks throughout history. I, I always use David Garrard because I, I watched a lot of Jags in the late 2000s when Garrard took over. He was just like a good, solid quarterback, made a lot of throws, didn't miss a ton, but he'd steal four. I always said he'd steal three, four, five first downs a year, uh, a game uh, with his legs. This is like the way Daniel Jones was playing last year, right? So like the, the passing stats might not look great at the end of the day, but when you start stealing first downs with your legs, um, not even necessarily a part of the design run game, that's like a whole right. different animal, but you just start creating. And that's where you know ESPN's QBR really weighs rushing maybe too much, but they weigh rushing a ton. So Dobbs had the second or maybe the highest QBR in the NFL yesterday per ESPN because because the running, right? And the EPA added on the ground. It is sneaky yardage. And Dobbs did that, man. That was the spark. And then you just back up even further and you learn more about the story. Yeah. So there's some crazy tweets coming after the game of just how little he was prepared to do what he did. <laughs> You're like, oh, he's been there a week. And, I, you know, I'd been saying I wouldn't even bet the farm on J uh, Jaron Hall starting this game. You know, Dobbs has come in a short week before and the rocket scientists and the five different teams and yada, yada. Like, he might start this game. Apparently, not only was he not going to start this game, but they hadn't even considered the idea that he might have to go in. So Kevin Seifert tweets, uh, incredible stories from Vikings locker room today. Josh Dobbs didn't take a single rep with the offense in practice. Now, that doesn't specify first-team offense. That says didn't take a single rep with the offense in practice. Maybe that's a, you know, just a bad wording. But anyway, no snaps from Garrett Bradbury, had never thrown passes to anyone, and didn't know most of their full names. And it says that's for next week. Uh, and then Alec Lewis says, unbelievable, Josh Dobbs said that the Vikings head coach, Kevin O'Connell, was essentially translating calls and mapping out plays mid-huddle as the play clock is ticking down. Uh, O'Connell called Dobbs' ability to handle it one of the most impressive things he'd seen in his career. So this sounds like Dobbs genuinely had no earthly idea what he was doing out there. There was another tweet, I think, from Seifert as well, saying that Hall gets hurt. They're like, uh-oh, he's out from the game they quickly sort of huddle on the sideline and run through their principal cadences for Dobbs. They hadn't even heard his cadence before. Right. So he, not only was he sort of not, you know, fully prepared to go, he seemed to have no earthly idea what he was doing at all. And they're basically having to do this on the fly, like Kevin O'Connell is coaching him through the offense as the plays are happening. Like, nuts. It, it's really unbelievable. And this is where... I just love the entire story. And I don't care. I know we're PFF and everything. I don't really care what the final grade is for Dobbs. It'll be it'll be good. No, he won't be the highest graded quarterback of the week. I, I don't care. The story is unbelievable. 
And we got into it a little bit on the preview show, how football is this incredibly complicated sport. You know that the best receivers and quarterbacks, they're always on the same page. And you, you could tell there's thousands of hours of reps and all that stuff. I was referencing the Peyton Manning deep comeback where he's just going to throw it to a spot 20 yards down the field and know that Reggie Wayne's going to get there, know that Marvin Harrison's going to get there. And you're like, they practice this literally thousands of times. And, and that's what you need to succeed in the NFL. There's so much nuance and the routes have to break at the right, you know, the right depth and you got to throw with anticipation and all that. And then every now and again, Josh Dobbs just, you know, meets his teammates in the huddle. They were translating. He said they were translating the play for him in the huddle because you lose contact right. with 15, 15 seconds, seconds left. And so they must have been like, no, it's slant flat over here. It's curl flat over here. And it's like, at what depth? I mean, I don't know, standard playbook depth, I guess. You know, like, how do they do that? It, it's so, uh, as a non-quarterback here, it's just very impressive to me that they could even pull that off, right? Knowing what it takes to, like, to, to actually run a football play, hmm. right? To know what everybody's doing, the exact depth, the timing of your drops, where everybody's going to be, with dudes bearing down on you, and the whole deal. The fact that they could even run a play, never mind lead a comeback is just so impressive to me. So what Dobbs has done, kudos, man. I mean, the other thing is, so he's going to end up with multiple turnover-worthy plays in the game, but there were fumbles. Like he didn't, in this offense that he basically had no idea what was happening and was having other people like coach him through the system while it was happening, he didn't have a bunch of wild-ass plays where he put the ball like – you would expect several sort of broken miscommunication plays where you're just throwing to somewhere different than receivers are. And he didn't. Like, he didn't actually have a bunch of those plays at all. He was reasonably careful with the football in passing terms and then added what he added from a scrambling point of view. Like, an adjusted completion rate of 69% in an offense where you don't actually know what's happening is quite impressive. Yeah, on top of, we had talked about... Um so, Kevin O'Connell, maybe he didn't prepare Josh Dobbs well enough. Mm. They were trying to get Jaron Hall ready. It is starting to seem that way. But I think you got to give him credit too, man, because they they worked together and they figured it out. And O'Connell has created this world. Look, I, I know Kirk, like Kirk Cousins, was not the best fourth quarter, uh, you know, comeback guy in the world before Kevin O'Connell got there. And all of a sudden, their last year was ridiculous. Right, not just the one-score games, but just the ability. He's like four from six or something of those. Those the somebody found a tally of those down eight-point games in the fourth quarter that Kyle Shanahan's 0-37 on or whatever. The best quarterback in the NFL since the start of 2020 or something is Kirk Cousins. Yeah, it's like four for six. And I think there's some connection with what Kevin O'Connell has done there, and you saw the same thing I think with him and Dobbs yesterday, able to able to lead that comeback with no running game we had anticipated Atlanta's run defense is pretty good you didn't get much from uh, Alexander Madison Cam Akers uh, ends up getting hurt towards other Achilles yeah I it's ridiculous how does that happen I don't know just he was it was another he's just like backing up and his heel you know was coming down and then Achilles just went done and he was uh he was the emergency quarterback yeah so one of um, they were like one hit away from genuinely not knowing who the quarterback was. If any of you ever become friends with Sam, and you are on mid football game texting terms with Sam, if that's ever your future, what's going to happen is when the when the starting quarterback gets hurt, 
Sam immediately, you, uh-huh. go into all of the various iterations of if the second quarterback gets hurt, what's going to happen? Yeah. Right? It's one of your favorite things to do. So I was bombarded with, okay, Dobbs is in. Now what if Dobbs gets hurt? I, I mean, and you were just, and you're just, you, you do this every time. Like every time the starter gets hurt, and we know there's just a backup, there's no third string or whatever. It's like, all right, what's going to happen? I used to really want to see, you know, like the <laughs> New England always had a, and it like didn't they had like Heath Miller or whatever for at times, you know. It's, I was always interested in the completely ridiculous. Pittsburgh? Uh, no, sorry, you, Heath. Uh, Heath Evans? The, yes, Heath Evans, the fullback, I think, was like an emergency quarterback at one point. I was always fascinated by, like, the random, ridiculous emergency quarterbacks. Obviously, you have the guy that was, like, you know, maybe an NFL tight end or wide receiver, but was a college quarterback or a high school, you know, whatever. Those kind of made some sense. But then you would have the completely insane random ones. I'm like, what is an offense where he's the quarterback even look like? My excitement or zeal for this has been tarnished slightly by seeing the 49ers with Christian McCaffrey at quarterback in the NFC Championship game. Now I'm like, okay, it probably doesn't look great. <laughs> but the Kendall Hinton game? Yeah, maybe, that kind of thing, right? Broncos. But I am still vaguely, morbidly curious about it. So when you have a game like this and it's like, they didn't even prepare the backup to play, let alone the emergency quarterback, let alone whoever the hell you're going to find now that the emergency quarterback just popped his Achilles. Like, they were running for a pretty healthy chunk of this game with their only quarterback of any description, a not tremendously self-preserving type of player. Like Josh Jobs running for his life, scrambling, taking hits left, right, and center. You're like, you are one hit away from literally not even knowing who the quarterback is. Like, Cam Akers, the running back, was the emergency quarterback. If Dobbs goes down, what are we even doing here? <laughs> like, do we just draw lots? To, like, do, you, you're not doing anything useful. Get in there. You're quarterback now. I, that, I mean, you can't tell me you, that wouldn't have been interesting. I guess it would have been, yeah. Uh, it was interesting when, uh, was it Levine Toy- Toyololo? Yeah. Had to play right tackle. Right. For the Falcons that Maybe Nikhil Harry would have been the quarterback. Oh, just direct snaps to Harry. Yeah. And let him run it. Uh, Toy Lolo having to play tackle made me think every, like the NFL should just make roster exemptions for offensive linemen. You should <laughs> never allow a tight end to play tackle. Like that's, but that's like putting players in harm's way. And yesterday we had a, we had a running back playing kicker. Running back kicker's fine. Anybody can kick. Wow. That's fine. Not anybody can do it well, but anybody's allowed to kick. I need to have... Like, you have an emergency goalie in hockey, uh-huh. right? Some dude's in the crowd, like, hey, you got to suit up. We need, like, Mitchell Schwartz sitting in the crowd. Like, you're going to play right to Mitchell Schwartz coming out of the crowd will play right tackle better than the this second actually, string tight end. The guy in the crowd is a player or just Somebody has to explain the emergency goalie thing, but it's like, I don't know. The dude's, I don't know. You, you, they, they grab, like... Um, beer league goalies and stuff but the guy's actually like some form of recognized goalies not just like a dude correct just you yeah but it's from like the local okay you know hockey rink right you know he's in the over 30 league and he can at least you know move around on skates and they throw him out there some dude like won an nhl game or something i don't know got it stop paying attention after nhl 95 best game though great game game. Um, from a falcons perspective four and five uh, B. John Robinson fumbled, so he won't see the ball ever again. This was I, we, Josh Don't, Dobbs oh. ruined. He ruined the Arthur Smith like revenge game. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. Yeah. J- okay, the story ends up being just Josh Dobbs, and anything else that happened is completely ancillary, and nobody cares. 
Um, but there was a point where Bijan Robinson had fumbled, having not been a part of like a key sh- uh, short red zone, you know, series. Uh, John o. Smith catches a ball and rumbles like 60 yards and scores a touchdown. Like Arthur Smith was busy on the sideline, like composing his put down to the reporters in the, the post-game media scrum. Like, ah, oh, now, now what do you think about throwing the ball to Jonu and not giving the ball to Bijan? And then Josh Dobbs goes but out there and ruins his day. Jonu also got stuffed on a jet sweep on Doesn't the goal matter. line. Doesn't matter. He scored the run after the catch touchdown. That's my point. And by me, I mean Arthur Smith. I know the fantasy people hate Tyler Algier because he is one of those people that's it's just by default because he steals Bijan carries. But Algier was legit down the stretch. He was terrible start. Um, just, but he had some really good runs down the end. And what looked like the game-winning touchdown uh-huh. for the Falcons, running hard, breaking tackles, Algier is good. Um, their, um, their target list, the Falcons, is just fascinating. So led the team in targets, Kaderil Hodge. Because uh, He's kind of sneaky good. <laughs> Drake he's Lo- good in that, um, who's the guy in the Jags that was always seemed like he was good, the receiver in like 17-18? It's Hodge. Drake London good. Uh, not playing. So, yeah. you know, a, an already absurd, comical distribution of resources was going to get even more ridiculous this week. So leading the team in targets, Kaderil Hodge. I don't know what he's had heading into this game, but it's not many. Uh, second in the team, oh, sorry, tied for leading the team in targets, Jonu Smith with his run after the catch touchdown. Second in the team in targets, Van Jefferson, the guy who was so bad with the Rams that they voluntarily said, get the hell out of this building because Matthew Stafford will no longer throw the ball to you. You are a liability. Five targets, one catch for 14 yards. Uh, also second with tar- in targets was Kyle Pitts, the guy, you know, everyone's wanting to get the ball. Four catches, 56 yards. But then also... In this game, getting snaps and the occasional target. Scotty Miller, Demir Bird, uh, your guy, Mac Hollins, Michael Pruitt, and something called Tucker Fisk. <laughs> I love I love uh, Demir Bird and Scotty Miller have on both. the same Demir Bird, Scotty Miller, and Kaderil Hodge all in the same offense getting targets is they have sc- both next played level my role of of Khalif Raymond's designated deep threat. And yes. you've got two of them on the same team. Uh-huh. Much like the Lions have both Khalif Raymond and Jameson Williams. I, it's a new strategy, doubling up on the deep threat. Um, Taylor Heineke, same up and down type of game. Gave some of those guys opportunities. Bad pick to Byron Murphy in there as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a tough one for the Falcons, man. They fall a game behind the Saints here. Yeah, the problem is that Taylor Heineke doesn't seem like he's going to be an upgrade over Desmond Ritter, at which point all you did was change quarterback. Well, such is life. We need to move on. Okay. All right, let's go uh, Houston Texans 39, Tampa Bay Bucks 37. Oh, this will take a while. This might take a while, yeah. That's okay because Colts Panthers still exist later mm. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texans 39, Bucks 37. That was another reset there. Back and forth game, the game of the week. You might be watching highlights for this game forever. C.J. Stroud sets the rookie record for most passing yards in a game with 470. Finishes 30 of 42 for 470. Five touchdowns, no picks. Had a spike in there as well. Um, But Stroud's going to be the story. It was an unbelievable back-and-forth game. Texans kicker was hurt. 
They had to go for it on fourth down a couple times, and it worked. They kept having to go for two. Um, Bucks offense came to life for the first time pretty much all year. Baker Mayfield played a great game. He looked like he threw what looked like – so the two things, Baker Mayfield had that scramble on fourth down, as I mentioned earlier, at the same time that Josh Dobbs yeah. converted his fourth down scramble. So Baker Mayfield kept pulling the Bucks out, making big plays, throws a beautiful pass to Kate Otten for what looked like the game-winning touchdown with just 40 – I'm sorry – how much time was left? Not much. No, not much. It was. With it was 50 under seconds left. Yeah. And so the Texans needed a touchdown, down four. Not that even kicking a – they couldn't kick a field goal anyway. Right. Unless it was, you know, in, in the 20s, 20-yard range. Um, Texans just drive down. Bobby Slowick calling the plays. And uh, C.J. Stroud hits Tank Dell for Twice. back-to-back plays. Yeah. But the 15-yarder ends up being the game winner to go up. To, to go up 39-37. And then a smart move by the Texans, which uh, helped me cover <laughs> since I picked the box in spite out of Bobby Slowick going on Adam Schefter's true, podcast over ours. Right. So just to go in the preview show here, yeah. Bobby was an Adam Schefter guest, uh-huh. which reportedly was required. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe not by choice. So we, we remember I texted him on the show. Yeah. He said, no, that was a requirement. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I said, well, I picked against, I picked the Bucks, hmm. getting. I don't think you told him that, though. I didn't tell him that, no. no. Getting two and a half. And uh, I don't know what the final line was, but on the last play, 39-37, the Texans took a knee because they don't have a kicker. They didn't want to risk a blocked kick. They certainly didn't want to risk, or they didn't want to risk even just going for two because the only way they could lose at that point would be a pick two. Not and, the only way, but I mean, probably the most likely way. There was literally no difference between having one more point or two more points. It's either you're going to lose yeah, on a game-ending touchdown or nothing. They're not able to get so, in the field goal range. So they the took a knee on the two-point conversion, meaning if you got the Texans you know, given two and a half, you, you lost. But anyway, uh, so I covered in that game at Well, least. that's the important thing. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think? C.J. Stroud, discuss. Yeah, I mean, crazy game. So as you said, back and forth. He, and, and back and forth in every conceivable way as well. So really early on, the I forget who the player was, but a Bucks defender had a ridiculous roughing the passer on C.J. Stroud on what was a third down stop. Uh, extends the drive, Texans score the next play, like a four-point mistake, right? But Houston repays the favor, like the next drive hits Baker Mayfield, extends that drive, like they were trading even silly mistakes and things like that. Um like and the, so it's interesting. You see this. The C.J. Stroud game was was really impressive. Not just the late uh, improbable comeback, but basically all the way through the game. And a lot of the times you see these kind of oh, this is the first quarterback to ever do whatever. And it's like yeah, I mean, you look at his. Um, so there's two lists he's on, right? There's the list of now he's the fifth quarterback ever to have whatever it was, 450 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. And that's like four, I think, pretty good quarterbacks. And I, well, five, I guess, but one of them was in the 60s, YA Tittle. And then he's also on the list of like the top five uh, just yardage totals from rookies. And that's a much more weird list that involves people like Mark Bulger and Aaron Brooks and whatever. And sort of sometimes, you know, the, the numbers that you end up with a guy, they don't actually tell you that much. But his 
performance was every bit as good as the numbers. Like, he's going to end up with a really good grade. His high leverage moments were fantastic. He was great in this game. Um, Baker Mayfield's out there balling out. Looked like he completed the comeback that Baker Mayfield never really completes. You know, the number of drives in his career where you're like, all right, here it is, two minutes, you know, 80 yards to go, go win it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it just it peters out, doesn't quite happen. You're like, there is something missing there from Baker. He actually completed it, and then Stroud outdoes him and takes it away from him. So, like, fascinating game. C.J. Stroud is amazing. But I wanted to talk about the kicker thing for a bit. So yeah. they lose the kicker. Kaimi Fairbairn gets hurt, and uh, Dari Ogunbowale is warming up at halftime because they don't have a kicker. So he's, like, practicing kicks. They have him kick off. Uh, at the start of the second half but then they basically are like we don't have a kicker we can't attempt field goals or extra points or anything so they're basically forced to go for two and or go for it on fourth down for the entire second half now eventually Agumboale kicks a field goal 29 yard field goal that puts them up but before that point they had basically been forced to act like we don't have a kicker let's go for it all and what was interesting to me was keeping track of whether they're better off or worse off having done that by the outcome and because on, what was it, fourth and eight or something? Fourth and eight. Fourth and goal from the eight. Right. They went for it, yeah. And they get the touchdown. Um, so because of that, and they convert on the two points on that try as well, now that's, they're up eight points. So they were net up three until uh, till the one that they didn't kick at the end, right? The one that they knelt on. So you can two or three. But they're essentially a net. They're net better off to the tune of winning the game. Like, you could make the argument that having been forced to, to not kick anything actually won them the game because yeah. they end up with that touchdown. I mean, the the argument for people, and I think we just had the email that came in, like, what if you just went for it every time? Yeah. Right? The argument for... This is like a forced experiment in this. Is, is this game. Um, I, I am reminded of the game. There was Chargers-Ravens a couple of years ago where the Chargers failed on fourth down and only scored like six points or whatever. They got smoked right. in the game. And so if you did go for it every time, what would happen is bigger sc- – just more variance in the, in the score. Yeah. Like you'd get crushed, but it only counts as one loss. But over time, you'd probably steal some wins, which counts as wins, right? Um, so it'd feel bad when you lost, when it didn't work. But it would feel great like it did for Houston here. Like you said, they had to go for it. They thought they had to go for it. Fourth and goal from the eight, which is – Everybody's kicking in that right. situation, even Nick Sirianni. Um, and then later, uh, Ogumba Wale kicks what should have been the – he picked the go-ahead field goal in yeah. the fourth quarter. A 29-yarder. It was pretty solid. It was 30-30. He kicks the field goal to go up 33-30. to And then, as we said, Baker Mayfield and the Bucks lead the comeback there, leave just about 40-something seconds for the Texans, and Stroud flips the field with a couple passes. Yeah, I can't believe, by the way, that – teams don't have that punters are not capable of kicking off i think there was because there was an australian punter who just had no no history but like you should teach him you should just be i get why the punter is not able necessarily to do field goals because a lot of teams have the punter as the holder so you can't like if you have to then shift now you got to have a second holder and that's just adding like that's probably a quarterback and the quarterback might be busy whatever i get why the you can't just go well he's our backup kicker but kicking off like how is the punter not the second best option here no we got a running back warming up to try and do this that seems crazy to me but anyway um so 
we end up with this C.J. Stroud conversation now, right, which is incredible game, you know, putting himself on rookie records, uh, putting himself on record uh, graphics, period. When is the point where you say he's the guy, he's amazing, we, we've, we've definitively decided he's the best quarterback in this draft class, it's time to reassess priors, everything, right, all of this, because obviously everybody wants it to happen now but we understand how history works. I don't know. We don't, we don't have to. No. We don't have to on this show. I mean, every, if, if, I know nobody here is because you're all watching us, but you're gonna, you, if you flip to ESPN or Good Morning Football, there will be declarative statements. Yes. There will be a lot of declarative statements. I mean, last week they did score 13 points against the one-win Panthers. He wasn't bad in that game necessarily, but yeah. I mean, look, let's just be in the moment. And be very impressed by C.J. Stroud. I think a fair take, Lance Erline, our biggest question on Stroud was the Georgia game. Was that real or a mirage? Right. And, you know, Lance Erline came out today and said, that's what we were all asking ourselves. And I think it's all real. Like, I think everything we saw was real. And I think that's a fair assessment. That doesn't mean you'll be good every single game. But even early in this game, just a few times, Stroud just broke contain and didn't, you know, Look terrible. He doesn't look terrible outside the pocket. He made a very similar throw into the end zone. He's made a few of them this year. Rolling out, throw into the end zone, similar ones that he was hitting in the Georgia game last year that he wasn't doing uh, early in the year last year. Um, it was also interesting when you see the college football beat writers and everything and national writers saying a year ago at this time, Stroud was having his game in Northwestern in like 50 plus mile an hour wins where he would average like two yards per attempt and look terrible because it's like, well, the weather was horrible, right? And that's, so you have the stat line of like 10 for 26 for 60 yards. There's your future, you know, rookie of the year. And he's an MVP candidate, by the way. I mean, Stroud's an MVP candidate now. Like, he'll be in that discussion. He's a top five MVP candidate right now. Um, I, think the, I think the credit is interesting because I was half joking during the game yesterday. He's unlocked former five-star Noah Brown. Right, they had three guys go over 100 yards. Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, and then Tank Dell. And so the, the thing that I'm impressed with... And Nico Collins had a good game. And Nico well. Collins is all of these guys where on paper going into the year, you're like, ah, oh, it's not the best receiving core. There's some intrigue there. You know, hope, hope Tank Dell gets a ton of targets because we loved him. All, they're, they're doing it with all of these targets who don't have this track record of being great. Um, and a first-time offensive coordinator and PFF Bobby... Um, on the other hand, you could say, well, this is – it's the Shanahan tree. Yeah. They all have this type of success. So I'm not – you know, there's nuance to all this stuff. But at the bottom line is C.J. Stroud is ice cold in those situations. He had the game winner earlier this year in the double move that mm -hmm. ended up – you know, they ended up losing to the Falcons. He has this game winner. They needed a touchdown in under a minute. Those are also situations that don't always pop up. You need a touchdown, not just field goal range – a touchdown and they did it and he made it look easy and he deserves all the praise and accolades i don't we don't need to make declarative statements off one game other than like this was awesome from cj stroud and very impressive what he's done through the totality of his rookie season yeah i mean he looks very very impressive like we it's important not to get carried away because we talked about this the other day like the history of we're still only half a season into their rookie years, right? And we know that that doesn't necessarily tell you the truth about what players are going to be, right? You can 
pick a random draft class and the chances are halfway through their rookie season doesn't tell you what their careers were going to end up panning out like. But I think you can look at what uh, C.J. Stroud has done so far and say some of the concerns people had and I had at draft time are probably not going to manifest. Like this idea of he's been bad under pressure, he had a a reportedly terrible S2 cognition score, are we just going to have a guy that melts down and cannot, you know, adjust and work on the fly? And, you know, is his entire uh, NFL career going to depend on whether he gets pressure or not effectively? I mean, he's playing well in disadvantageous situations, even if the offense and Bobby are able to dial up nice plays, etc., I think the concern there is probably gone at this stage, at which point now that's his single biggest negative as a draft prospect is probably off the table. The uh, the Texans fans in the chat want us to admit that we were wrong on CJ, which whatever. I mean, we said that was the right pick. That's fine. You, We put the wrong rankings together. I don't care. And and that we were wrong on Will Anderson. Still not wrong on Will Anderson. Nobody ever – I mean, the also, – The whole – remember the nuance here. Wrong. I mean, you just – good player. Love Will Anderson as the player. Right. Not worth three players. Yes. That's the thing. And that's not going to show up yesterday. The narrative, I mean, that's not going to show up in the first 10 games. That's a, that's a multi-year The Will Anderson decision. discussion was primarily it was bad to trade up for him because he can never be worth the cost of what you gave up to make that happen. We are nowhere near uh, being able to tell whether that was the right decision or not based off his career so far. And frankly, even if it works out, from a process standpoint, it's probably bad regardless, right? Like the Raiders, the Khalil Mack trade and those kinds of things. Like you can always reverse engineer these and say, well, if you got the right player, it's the right move. But from a process standpoint, it isn't necessarily. Anyway, that part, like from a Will Anderson, the player standpoint, we said he was one of the best defensive players in the draft. And our only quote unquote criticism was raising the question of whether he was truly in that elite you know, edge rusher prospect category of guys we've seen come into the league recently. I was the Bosa's, the yeah. Chase Youngs, and even the Aiden Hutchinsons. And frankly, at this point in his career, he hasn't been as good he as any of those yeah. guys. So that part is entirely still either up for debate or we're still right about that. The CJ Stroud thing is, I'm like, I'm happy to say right now, my single biggest concern about him as a draft prospect is probably already off the table. So from that standpoint, he is better than I thought he could potentially end up being. Um, I had him as my fourth quarterback in the draft. Even though, like, at this point, he looks better than I thought he was. The question is, what are the other three guys? Like, that's the bigger question at this stage. Yeah. So are the draft rankings wrong? Almost certainly, because everybody's draft rankings are wrong. How? What is the order of those four guys? We have no idea yet, right? Richardson's played a few games and then wrecked his shoulder. Will Levis played seven spectacular quarters and one disastrous one. So who the hell knows what he is? And then Bryce Young is struggling in a bad situation, and we don't know what he's going to be. So, you know, the, those people being like, ah, admit you're wrong about this. Well, okay, I appear to have been wrong on C.J. Stroud and his baseline, but what is the order? Because we don't know that yet. That's my I shouldn't have, point. I shouldn't this. even have brought it up. No, can't, it's can't like, respond to those. It things. is relevant because yeah. at some point you do need to change. Like we've made this point earlier in the season, right? 
of course you should still focus on priors because that's still like 90% of the information you have on these players. But the further you go into their NFL careers, the more that number comes down. It also doesn't really matter. I mean, it's like, just describe what happened. <laughs> we're, right. just, we're here but, just describing what happened but like, right now. But the point being, the further you get into their careers, the more that prior information does become less important and less uh, a smaller piece of the puzzle. So the further C.J. Stroud gets in and continues to play this way, the more it is irrelevant that whatever you thought about him in the past, and you should start to acknowledge that he's better than you thought he was or he's better than um, he, you know, you, you anticipated him becoming. So I think that's perfectly fair. C.J. Stroud is looking better than I expected him to or that the concern was he could end up being. So I'm pretty sure my ranking on him is going to end up being wrong at this point. But the other variable, like where are the other three guys going to slot? We don't know that yet because we're half a season in and we know like Baker Mayfield after half a season looked like the best quarterback in his draft. Lamar Jackson, after half a season, the rookie years, had played like 50 snaps or something. He'd barely seen the field. And Josh Allen was playing like ass. So we don't know yet, is my point. I don't, it's not the day to do it. CJ Stroud finishes 30 of 42 for 470, five touchdowns, no picks. The only thing about rookie records is they don't really matter for the future. I, with CJ Stroud this year, I'm just impressed with the way he's played football the way he's handled the pocket the way he's maneuvered the pocket gotten out of the pocket thrown the ball accurately Mm -hmm. that's what i'm most impressed about taking care of the ball for the most part that's what i'm most impressed about like cam newton had all sorts of rookie route most yards through one game most yards through two games didn't really matter for cam it didn't change the course of his career or anything he i thought cam was a good quarterback and great one year you know, it didn't change the course. I could, it, it had so many rookie records. It doesn't really matter. I mean, and in this case, the fact that it's like 470 yards instead of 440 doesn't really matter. Other than like it was such an impressive effort. The way it was done, Tank Dell double move touchdown, hit the post for the touchdown. Dalton Schultz had some huge plays just in space. Noah Brown, as I mentioned earlier, had those. The, all three guys went over 100 yards. You mentioned Nico Collins had the slant for a touchdown, a couple other big plays. That's what I'm most impressed about is that Stroud is able, with that group, to spread the ball around, find the open man, throw the ball accurately, um, hit second reads, maneuver the pocket, and credit to our friend Bobby for kind of putting this all together and getting the most out of Stroud and getting the most out of this group. I mean, Newton is a good example of how pointless some of these discussions can be because whatever about projecting a guy's career forward, like we all just watched Cam Newton's career and can't agree on how good he was. Like, that's how hard this is. You know what I mean? Like, whatever we're trying to project based off eight games what C.J. Stroud is going to be in his NFL career or Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. Uh, We all just watched Cam Newton play for his entire career and can't even get on the same page about what exactly he was or how good he was or, like, those kinds of things. So you're having a discussion with a bunch of people who are already set in this is what this guy is you're not going to be on the same page even if you had all the information. All right, we're going to – now, this is why it's going to take us till 9.30. I thought we were going to have a quicker show. Never going to happen. Um, from a Bucks perspective, heartbreaker. They, lo- they fall to three and five. Um, it looked like, like you said, Baker Mayfield gotten over this little comeback hump, big, big pass down the field to Mike Evans. They start targeting Kate Otten. He has a huge game, six, six catches for 70 yards and two scores. Um, 
Trey Palmer had a couple big plays, almost fumbled it away, but Mike Evans saved the game there too for a minute, jumped on a yeah. fumble. And Baker Mayfield it, like, played. Like popped into his hands. He yeah. didn't even like, need to do much. He just sort of bounced his way. There was just some crazy stuff in there. I thought Rashad White ran really well. I thought, you know, he only ended up at 3.7 per carry, but they were kind of an efficient running game against a weak run defense with Houston. But um, the question in Tampa Bay now is Todd Bowles, you know, three and five this year. Bowles doesn't have the best record as a head coach, but with the Jets or the Bucs, mm-hmm. and it's his defense falling apart. The defense has been fine for most of the season. They've got these lulls. But this was bad. As good as it was for Houston and C.J. Stroud, the question in Tampa Bay today is, like, what's Todd Bowles' future? Is he on the hot seat? That's what they're calling for in Tampa Bay right now. Uh, pretty bad defensive performance on that side for the Bucks. Yeah, uh, so Carlton Davis got, like, just abused in that game, um, particularly by Tank Dell, but he got beaten by a couple other guys as well. Zion McCollum playing, like, all of the time, is doesn't make a ton of sense to me like he's this hyper athletic remember the same was it the same combine right him and Tariq Woolen him and blew Tariq it up Woolen. and had like mind-blowing stats yeah insane numbers from him only he's not actually very good at football so you have this insane athlete at corner who's not getting who's getting lit up fairly consistently um I don't know the, the back end of that that defense was struggling obviously given the kind of yardage that they put up but yeah, and the story with the front seven is always the same, which is they're capable of insane plays. Like Vita Vea had another one of those plays that's just unblockable, but I think it was literally his only good play of the game. Like, why? I don't understand how that works. Kalijah Kansi is still more hit, uh, you know, boom or bust at the moment in, in the course of game. Shaquille Barrett had a good game, but like, they're just not bringing enough to the table from that group to offset the fact that the secondary is getting torched. All right, man. Texans move to four and four. They're competing, man. They're going to be competing in that AFC South if they keep it up. But uh, give C.J. Stroud his credit today. Yeah. No flowers, just credit. Give Great credit. game. Impressive. Impressive game. All right, let's go to the 4 o'clock games here. Uh, we're going to go quick through these two and get into the big, two bigger ones. Indianapolis Colts 27, Panthers 13. After many baby steps forward, Bryce Young takes a massive step back. A big step. A big leap. Um, right into the hands of Kenny Moore basically, with uh, two pick sixes. An adult size step backwards. Um, yeah, I think uh, Kevin Clark tweeted something like, you know, I'm trying to stay rational with the C.J. Stroud Bryce Young takes, and Bryce Young is not making it easy, uh, which is pretty true. Now, uh, one week ago, Bryce Young had his best game yeah. in a game where he outplayed C.J. Stroud. Right. That like- just happened last week. Now, head-to-head doesn't matter. I mean, we're eight, nine games into the season here. The head-to-head matchup doesn't get weighed double or anything. But in narrative like terms, like in narrative terms, yeah. you can't do much better than outperforming the guy you're compared to in the game, right? Yes. It, great work from Bryce Young. Like timed it to perfection. That was the perfect time to play well and Stroud or and uh, yeah, Stroud not have his best game. Great work in terms of fixing your narrative, Bryce Young. But then this week you undid all of that work. You timed your crappy game for when he's setting rookie records and putting up 470 yards and creating this like legacy comeback win, you have a nightmare and throw the ball repeatedly to Kenny Moore and just capitulate. Do not tell me to stop being reactionary. I think the Bryce Young takes have been very, you know, straightforward. He, he had continued to progress. This is the first step back he's taken this year. Like he hasn't been good overall. Mm-hmm. He's gotten marginally better. Pretty much every single week, there's been more things to you know have some you know 
to be positive about if you're a Panthers fan. And this is a big step back. This is bad. This is bad performance. Yeah. At home against this Colts defense, throwing the two pick sixes, which were just were ugly. No, I mean, he, he had a bad game, and he hasn't had a good season. Um, but we're, we're half a season in to his rookie career, or to his career, period. Like, this is the classic example of just simply go back, pull up the first eight, nine games of the last ten quarterback classes. Find the good quarterbacks from those classes and tell me what their numbers look like after eight, nine games. They're not all good. In fact, a lot of them are bad. And, you know, Matthew Stafford has one of the worst rookie seasons of any quarterback ever. Like, Bryce Young has been bad. I, I'm not even trying to dress it up. He's been bad. I haven't been impressed by him. Nothing's been good. Yeah. And even despite your incremental baby steps, it never got to a good level. It was just like, yeah, this is better than it was. Um, but it is, like... <laughs> the only caveat that needs to be attached to that is it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It just means he's having a bad rookie year, which quarterbacks yeah. do. The goal is to have your guy by you know late year two into year three. Yeah. Now, if it happens sooner, great. Um, I think I, there's still people debating Trevor Lawrence. I, I think Lawrence is there, man. I, maybe not as but a Lawrence top is another guy, guy who hadn't very, shown anything in the first a year eight and, games and a half. Now, when we got. Remember last year, at this time, this very time, this, this is like the week where Trevor Lawrence turned it around last right. year. A year and a half into his career, we were sitting there in weeks six, seven, eight, saying, all right, man, is this like, is Trevor Lawrence ever going to figure this thing out? Other people had seen some progress. Remember our friend Nate Tice was like, man, I'm seeing this progress from Trevor Lawrence. I'm, and we're like, I'm not, I'm not there yet. And then the f- switch flipped, and yeah. all of a sudden Trevor Lawrence – since that point, I think has been excellent. So it just it just takes eight eight. It just uh, takes time for certain. After guys. nine weeks of the 2018 rookie class, Josh Allen had two touchdowns, five interceptions, and worse numbers than Josh Rosen. Right? I mean oh, that's, that's tweet worthy. Yeah, I mean that's all you need to understand here, right? Bryce Young has been bad. There is no dressing that up, nor is there any any attempt to. By the way, like he's been bad. It's been ugly. It doesn't actually necessarily mean anything. It's just that by comparison to C.J. Stroud, it looks terrible. But that doesn't mean if in a year's time, will that be the same answer? In two years' time, will that be the same answer? We don't know yet. Yeah, this game was kind of ugly. Um, Except for Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore was awesome. Probably going to get defensive player. He's going to win all the awards. Uh, AFC player of the week. I guarantee he's <laughs> going to be AFC defensive player of the, of the week. And probably should. To be fair. And probably should, yeah. yeah. I mean, those are those are good plays. Uh, Gardner Minshew didn't... What do we have a turnover-worthy plays here? This was like the worst the Colts' offense has looked. I, yeah, every time I looked up, they were making something bad happen, and yet they were like three scores to the good. Didn't make any, yeah. It didn't make a lot of sense until you considered that Bryce Young kept throwing them the ball. Because of Kenny Moore. Um, I don't have much else to add here because we have other games to discuss. Yeah. Well, good then, job, Colts. Colts move... Um, so AFC South getting a little bit tighter. They move to four and five. Panthers fall to one and seven, and so the Bears are excited because they have their pick, which is number two right now. Mm-hmm. Is that good? Sure. I mean, it's as good as you're going to get out of that game. That's it. Las Vegas Raiders thirty, New York Giants six. Raiders move to four and five, but one and zero oh under Antonio Pierce. Giants two and seven. Um, they were playing with the interim head coach energy. Yep, and I, or simply, which is which can be confused with, and it's difficult to uh, to differentiate between 
the no longer having to have Josh McDaniels as your coach energy. All right, maybe that's the time we have to spend here. Um, two things before I let you unpack that a little bit. Aiden O'Connell, second start, 16 of 25, 209. Uh, much cleaner game this time around than yeah. we saw against the Chargers. Good couple game. Big, ball, uh, big plays in there, nice deep ball to Trey Tucker, fellow rookie. Um, felt like they had that dialed up for Tucker, and you know the, the coaches just went back and said, All right, let's, let's get our playmakers involved. Josh Jacobs ran hard. Um, nice little end-around play to Jacoby Myers for a 17-yard touchdown to kick off the scoring. So there's that. We'll talk about the McDaniel thing and some of the report reports that came out, but it felt like the opening kickoff, I think they cut away from it. Just the opening kickoff, the Raiders made a tackle, and it looks like the whole team celebrated, like they just got like the turnover, like the, the turnover celebration as a team. I don't know if that's sustainable, but Antonio Pierce is bringing some kind of energy to this team. To your point, is this Urban Meyer level of addition by subtraction? Um, er, now, Josh McDaniels, by all accounts, did not do the top the top eight or ten things that Urban Meyer did. If you were ranking <laughs> Urban they Meyer's things and yes. Josh McDaniels' things, it's right. probably eight or ten of Urban Meyer's things first. That is true. Including, you know grinding with the girl at the Cincinnati bar after the game and right. kicking the kicker and just not knowing Aaron Donald and the other million things yeah. that he did wrong. But is it more addition by subtraction right. as far McDaniels as based off all those reports? As far as I'm aware, McDaniels never kicked any of his players. Um, it is, though, remarkable how it does seem that he just repeated his Denver head coaching stint. You know, everyone else, I tweeted this. Like, it's like that Simpsons meme um, – Principal Skinner being like, am I out of touch? No, it's the children that are wrong. Like McDaniel, everyone else is like, look, the Denver thing went about as badly as a head coaching gig can go. It was too much, too soon, but he's young. He'll take, he'll take it away and he'll learn from his mistakes, right? The, these 10 years being offensive coordinator in, in New England, sure, they're just building up, up his reputation. But him internally on the side, he'll be like thinking, where did I go wrong? What am I going to do differently next time? He just went, nah, I was right. I'm going to run it back. And it was exactly the same. Like step by step, he just went, I clearly had it right the first time and I got unlucky. So I'm just going to give it a second swing and see how that one pans out. Well, it turns out it pans out exactly the same. It's one of the worst jobs anybody's ever done. So the biggest report that came out was, I think, from Jake Laser that I found amazing. They had this big like team meeting. Everyone aired their grievances. They all ripped into McDaniels. It was like, this is what you're doing wrong. This is why it sucks. This is why everybody hates what you're doing. Yada, yada, right? And apparently, Antonio Pierce kind of stepped up and like almost took the bullet from McDaniels and sort of calmed it down and got everybody on the same page. and was like, look, you know, when we were with the Giants and we went up against this undefeated New England team, we thought we could win and yada, yada. This is about the, the culture we want. And Mc so... He, he kind of calmed it down, talked to everybody off the ledge and, and got everyone on board. And apparently McDaniel's only takeaway from this was don't talk bad about that undefeated Patriots team. Like, don't you ever bring those guys up again? Like, dude, what are you doing? This guy just stepped up and saved your ass by talking the entire team off the ledge. And your takeaway was don't badmouth that the undefeated team I was a part of. I mean, that's just dumbassery like immediately that guy has no idea what he's doing in terms of interpersonal skills which by the way was the criticism of every one of his players in denver 
what are we doing here? And rightly, Mark Davis goes out there and eats 80-something million dollars to be able to get rid of those people and start over. And whether or not it's going to be Antonio Pierce getting the job going forward or simply not having Josh McDaniels there as the dude in charge, it's the right move. I mean, that is like catastrophic, not even man management, just like human skills. Yeah, those are the reports that came out. And uh, players going above McDaniel's head and talking to the ownership and the whole deal. Yeah, but we don't, I mean... Talking to Mark Davis. That may well have been Davis trying to sound it out from the players as opposed to the other way around. Either way, it sounds like they were right. I mean, this is a person that can't lead men. Yeah. I mean, I'm intrigued by the Raiders going forward. So I know it's the Giants and they've looked rough this year. Um, And And then... And that was like, you could see that in the, in the game, right? Obviously, Max Crosby was really good because he's really good, but multiple other Raiders defensive linemen had big games in a way that hasn't happened otherwise yeah. this year. But at the same time, even when McDaniels was there, there were certain games this year where it's like, all right, you know, the Raiders don't have a ton of names on defense, but they're playing hard, and they've got – we know they have talent on offense. They're not devoid of talent on offense. It's just putting it all together. I mean, the Raiders could be feisty. Second half of the year here. They play the Chiefs a couple times still. They have to, you know, they could be a feisty team. Um, other storyline stuff. I mentioned Josh Jacobs ran hard. I mean, the final numbers aren't spectacular. Under uh, 26 carries for 98 yards. But it kind of looks like last year's Josh Jacobs. A lot of good stuff, I think, for Las Vegas in that game. They moved to 4-5. and five. Um, Giants fall to 2-7. and seven. Daniel Jones hurt. Um, he was hurt on the previous play, right? You yeah. could tell he was hobbling. It's they're saying drop back, and he just crumbled. It's probably an ACL, and he's probably done for the year. Ugh. Like it looked like he. It, it was a weird play because it looked initially they thought his tight end had like tripped him up, but actually he just planted his knee because the tight end was kind of in the way, and his knee buckled, which yeah. is the ACL. And then he didn't realize yeah. it was the ACL. Went out the next play. And just planted his knee again. It buckled because he doesn't have an ACL. And apparently, I forget who the sideline reporter is, but they were like, the team doctor had already sort of clocked it initially and thought, "Uh uh-oh. And then when he buckled the next play, apparently the doctor wasn't even waiting for anything else, was already like running out to the field being like, he knew, he knew. Like, that's the knee. So, yeah, Tommy DeVito had to come in again. Tyrod Taylor is banged up, the backup. I mean, early on, Daniel Jones only ended up with nine Nine, 11 dropbacks total, whatever it was. Um, but uh, it looked like, looked like Daniel Jones was watching some Tyrod tape and saying, I got I to gotta throw it downfield. Yeah, and, took uh, a couple of shots. Yeah, took some shots at Jalen Hyatt, just, just couldn't connect on a couple. But it's a tough blow and a tough season for the Giants, mm-hmm. especially after re-upping Daniel Jones. Yeah, particularly if they did sort of, I'm not saying one caused the other, but if they did rush him back onto the field because they were suddenly confronted with the reality of starting Tommy DeVito, and it's like, then he tears his knee up, and they have to play Tommy DeVito anyway. It's like, yeah, that didn't work well. Not great. Yeah. Uh, Raiders O-line deserves a ton of credit. We spent a ton of the preview show complimenting Dexter Lawrence because he's just breaking the world statistically, but... um, Not today. Not not in this game. Yeah, they shut him out. Pretty much, a couple couple quick wins in there that didn't become pressures, but Raiders' O line was excellent. They've been sneaky good this year from a pass pro standpoint. Yeah, and, and remember, you know, we were asking the question: um, How are they grading well and not getting anything out of it? And when you say that and you ask that question, typically the answer is generally coaching. 
now the coach has changed, and all of a sudden there's a run game and there's an offensive line looking well, and Aiden O'Connell yeah. looks good. Like, Aiden O'Connell had the game – another one of these quarterbacks this season where you're like, outside of the really bad plays he made, he looked quite good that first game, right? Other than taking a million sacks, he, the, he was fine, right? Yeah. This game, he took no sacks. So it's like, it, suddenly Aiden O'Connell looks good again. You're back to preseason Aiden O'Connell. So honestly, changing the coaching staff may well be the solution to an awful lot of Raiders' ills. Again, with the Cleveland-Arizona caveat of it's the Giants. Uh, Giants moved, as I said, two and seven. Currently, the number four pick in the draft, and uh, Vegas, one of several teams, at four and five. All right, two more games. The game of the week in the four o'clock window: Philadelphia Eagles twenty-eight, Dallas Cowboys twenty-three. Eagles moved to eight and one. They'll be atop all of your power rankings with the best record in the league, and uh, it's pretty good back and forth game, a heavyweight battle type yeah. of feel. Started out hot with uh, back-to-back scores from each team. Or they, they traded scores early on. But, um, yeah, it was a fun game, man. Yes. Uh, Dallas, if, like this feels like a game that really got away from them. Um, so Philly scores early. They got a little bit lucky with a strip sack that sort of bounced right back to Jalen Hurts. But they score a touchdown, and you're like, all right, you know, first punch thrown to Dallas now you're like you, you already know what the narrative is right Dallas can't win these games you're not as good as those teams you just got punched in the mouth can you punch back and they did they had a big kick return by uh, Keontae Turpin right away then a touchdown drive um, and, and it became this sort of back and forth game they were able to sort of keep pace with the Eagles and then had a shot to win it at the death and couldn't it's like yeah. the narrative was already you can't live with these teams and for once, you actually did live with them and then had a shot to win it and couldn't get it done in the end. Like, they just can't get away from the inevitability of the outcome in these games. I will say, they mentioned at one point, and it changed during the game, but this is maybe the most insane stat I've heard this season. Coming into this game, yes, Dallas had had one lead change in the entire season. Yeah, they had they they win games or they lose games, but they those had, games start that way and go that way. But one lead change and the largest margin of victory, yeah. and the largest margin of were like defeat. twenty points or something. They had the largest margin of victory. Oh, but and the average, defeat but the averages the were like twenty points in either direction. Correct. So they've they've either been in these absolute walkovers or complete annihilations, and they don't like. They don't change during the course of the game. They just, this is a game you're going to win and win easily, or this is a game you're going to get beat down in and nothing changes. Well, One lead change in eight games or whatever? That's ridiculous. Well, that, sometimes the stat sums up what I'm feeling, right? What I'm trying to feel here. Now, they'd only had two losses coming in. They lost to the Cardinals and lost to the Niners. But the stats summed up what I was feeling. Because when people are like, how's Mike McCarthy doing as a play caller? I don't know. Like, what's the game flow? There's no game flow here, right? And a lot, and most of the times the, the Cowboys win, it's not because the offense is just going up and down the field nonstop. It's because they have a special teams touchdown. They have defensive touchdowns like crazy. I mean, it's because they put together these full team efforts that are just domination. Right, like you just played an SEC team and you're killing them because you're the Cowboys. That's what it feels like. But then, you know, this was the this was the first game where it was actually a 
you know, a nice back and forth battle. Yeah. I mean, I the mean, Chargers game a few weeks ago had some some back and forth to it. It's not like, but the, but you're right. Like the lead change thing was fascinating. The Texans Bucks had five lead changes yesterday. Yeah, like to have in one quarter. in the first eight crazy. in eight games is genuinely insane. Um, but that was that was the stat heading into it. So I want to I want to highlight on the first drive because I, I have to do this right. Nick Sirianni. Yeah, they did the brotherly shove in their own territory. That's that's expected, right? We've got the we've got the key play. It's fourth and one own territory. Who cares? Also went for it on fourth and three in field goal range. Jalen Hurts throws an absolute dime on a deep out. They get a fifteen yard gain, score a touchdown on the next play. Syria, I mean, they won by five, Sam. And when you're talking an EPA type of difference, they passed up a probable field goal, but not not a hundred percent. A probable field goal. And exchanged it for seven points. So it's at least, I mean, just in real terms, a four-point decision by Sirianni. And when you take in, you factor in the fact that there could have been a missed field goal, probably a five-point decision by Nick Sirianni on the first drive just by saying, this is who we are, this is what we're doing, we're going for it, and they win by five. Just saying, that stuff adds up over time. In addition to, I thought Greg Olson also made a great point about the Eagles where it looks like they're run-pass splits, like they're a run-heavy team, but they're also pass-heavy on early downs. They they are finding this mix of it's third and five, third and four. We're going to run it when most teams pass because we're going to go for it on fourth and we're going to run again. And the run-pass splits look even, but they pass early and they run in late. They run, you know, in third and fourth and short, and they're finding that, like, nerdy balance of, when to pass and when to run, and it's really impressive that they're putting it all together. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to talk about this at the tail end of this game because that's quite, where quite a lot of the action happened. Um, but also, Jalen Hurts looked pretty lucky to get out of that without a bad knee injury. I mean, his knee got crunched from the side. I, he was already – like he's, remember, he got hurt a couple of weeks ago, and honestly, he seems like he's been dealing with stuff all the way through the season. All year he's felt, but, yeah, hurt. But his knee was already – in a brace, which honestly may have saved his knee at this point because it's already locked in with the metal brace thing. If it hadn't been and his knee had just crunched in sideways like that, that may have been Jalen Hurts' season right there. Um, but he's he was dealing with that um, knee injury again. Uh, and then the other element of this, so the tush-push, the brotherly shove play, whatever, not only is it this cheat code on fourth down, et cetera, et cetera, we've been talking about that a lot, they found another use for it where they Dallas with one of their many just down short of the goal line plays. Uh, the Eagles get the ball turnover on downs. The Eagles get it. They're backed up on their own like six inch line, right? They were able to use the shove play to get two clear yards of breathing space. Yeah. Nobody else can do that. Like they can deploy one play that nobody else can stop and not just get you know, six inches to get a first down, they can go, we need two yards of breathing room because we are backed up on our goal line. Go nuts, guys. Traditional sneaks can do that too. But They don't get two yards, though. That's the thing. They do this, if you spread the field, if you do it the right way. You most do people do not get two yards out of a QB sneak. The This cheap play is not just a, an automatic conversion. It's actually able to push two clear yards of space down by your own goal line which is just another use of this thing in a way that nobody else can do. Um, you want to talk a little – I mean, I thought Dak Prescott played a really good game. I mean, it was – you know, sometimes Dallas in these in the big games against the Niners, it feels like the whole team 
just doesn't show up. But this was this was a battle back and forth. Dallas just their red zone woes continue to come back. They can't put the ball in the end zone enough. They were like allergic to it in this game. I know, I know. And uh, Eagles in the second half, couple big plays at the Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith, absolute dime on the twenty nine yarder. Hurts uh, to AJ Brown to go up twenty eight to seventeen. But again, Dallas kept battling back, man. Dak hit Jalen Tolbert, had a couple big plays on that drive. Jalen Tolbert, seven-yard touchdown. They didn't get the two-point. Um, but even down five, they had an opportunity. Deep pass interference to flip the field. And well, then had – yeah, go ahead. Go through the uh, sequence at the well, end. Well, they had the multiple plays where they couldn't get in to the end zone. Fourth and one, they thought they scored. And then this one was taken off the board when it turned out he was down at like the six-inch line, which is where the Eagles had the ball then and, and did the push play to get, get the room. Um, they get the touchdown. They couldn't get in the two points. It looked like Dak had got there, and he didn't. He'd stepped back just short. So they kept getting these, like, plays taken off. Um, each time, they, like, gave it to them live. And then only when they looked at the tape, were like, nope. And unfortunately, you were six inches short of this play. And it just kept happening to them. But then the Eagles give them a shot and completely botch this big third down play late on, fumble the ball. It was like a, you know, read option thing. And he, he handed it, gave it to the running back. Who, did it get clipped out or whatever by the, the crossing blocker? Uh, Tyler Steen recovers it. And that looked for a second like that could be the difference in the game. Um, like a punt versus Dallas getting the ball at the, thir- the Eagles 31 with like a minute left. And then they just couldn't – like that was in the middle of the sequence where they couldn't get the, uh, the touchdowns or get the points on the board. What, what's your – high-level takeaway here because as we were going back and forth discussing this game I'm like look I said I think Dak in this passing Dak as a quarterback matches up well against the Eagles and the way they play defense as long as they can protect Dak enough and I know he got sacked five times and he was under some pressure but like the matchup's pretty good for Dak I'm going to read some zone coverage find the open man he does that really well Um, C.D. Lamb with another huge game and Jake Ferguson had a really nice game I'm also still disappointed that you don't get that you're not getting the wide receiver production I expected out of the Cowboys, but they move the ball. Um, but as we were talking through the game, I'm like, I like the matchup for Dallas. The matchup itself is much different than the 49ers matchup. But in Philadelphia, Eagles tough to beat, and I thought that was the decider. I, this game might flip for me in four weeks, whenever it is in Dallas. You know, assuming the quarterbacks are healthy again, and um, I think they're close. But Dallas still has this question to answer. Can you beat the best teams in the NFC? Yeah. And they haven't over the last two years, at least not when the Eagles and the Niners have been fully healthy. Yeah, I mean, it, and honestly, it comes down to Tyler Steen, backup guard for the Eagles, plays, doesn't play well, is actually a, an issue in the game, was getting fairly well wrecked. But he recovers that fumble. And honestly, <laughs> that, that might be the difference in the game. Like, he might have saved the game by recovering a fumble when he'd been one of the worst players on the field for them otherwise. Um, and then the other side, Terrence Steele has not been the same guy since coming back from injury, and he was getting wrecked by the Eagles' defensive line. Like, Brandon really Graham. struggling. Brandon yeah. Graham had back-to-back sacks, his second and third sacks of the year. Um, Hassan Reddick, like, everybody was, was destroying Terrence Steele. And other guys in the Dallas offensive line gave up some pressure, but Terrence Steele gave up like four times more pressure than anybody else. And that ended up being the play that cost him the game at the end was Terrence Steele with another one coughing it up. I, the takeaway from this game, though, ends up being 
Like Dallas showed that they could go toe-to-toe with a team like Philadelphia. They had a chance to win it at the death. Now, Philadelphia was down multiple defensive backs. Bradbury gives up a 50-yard pass interference play and gets hurt on the play. Slay's already off the field. They're down to nobody at corner, essentially. Um, So, again, there's always, like, context. What were they going up against? But they were driving. They had a chance to win this game and didn't get it done. And this is a sort of coaching challenge of how do you how do you make the team spin that in a positive direction right on the one hand this is a lot better than when you went up against san francisco and they just beat the crap out of you for four for four quarters on the other hand outcome is the same you didn't get it done at the end when you had the chance to get it done and now you still can't beat the best teams in the nfl so if you can sell this to the team as a positive step in the right direction hey this time we almost got it done, that's better than not even getting close, then sure, it's a step in the right direction and it might be psychologically important when you play them again in future and you know that you're right there. But if, they, if you can and if they just come out of this with the takeaway of, man, we just we fell short again. We can't beat these teams. That's potentially psychologically damaging for them. That's why coaches focus so much on situational football because every week when you're like, hey, why did we win or lose? Oh, it's these six or seven plays. Yeah. It's these few red zone plays, and um, it's not easy to solve, but it also means the next time it's Dallas and the Eagles, just because Dallas has been terrible in the red zone this entire season doesn't mean they will be the next time, right? Yeah. It's, it's a handful of plays here and there. I mean, they were put the Eagles' penalties put them in a position to win this game, Dallas. Sure. They gave them the 50. They needed to go, what was it, 85 yards or something on that final drive with like a minute left. The Eagles gave them 56 of those yards from with penalties. They gave them the 50-yard. Uh, I mean, it was more than that, actually. They gave them the 50-yard um, pass interference. There was another couple of penalties in there as well. And then Dallas still couldn't get it done. So they got into deep into the Philadelphia red zone. A big sack coming off the Terrence Steele pressure. You know, a delay a game. They just kept getting backed up, and they, they end up not getting it done at all. So... Dallas had a chance to win this game and couldn't find a way to make it happen. All right, let's wrap it up, man. Uh, by the way, Philly, uh, I, I'm going to say this every week for the next few weeks, that's game one of the brutal schedule. The brutal schedule. I got a loading real quick, sorry. Um, they're going to hit their bye. Kansas City's also on their bye. Next time we see them, is that it's a Monday night game at Kansas City. Eagles at Chiefs next time we see both teams. Super Bowl rematch. Mm. And then they have the Bills, 49ers, and Cowboys once again, and then the Seahawks. So 1-0 on for the, the Eagles. Seahawks. What on the I road to the Seahawks. On the road, yeah, to Seattle with the 12s. Yeah. Right, 12 men on the field. Uh, so it's a stretch for the Eagles, 1-0 during that stretch. 8-1, of course, though, on the season. Power ranking, number one. Mm. Uh, Sunday Night Football, I was there. Cincinnati Bengals, 24 Buffalo Bills, 18. Bengals officially back again. Yeah, so what is the report from uh, live on location? Crowd was electric. Very well color-coded. Except you. Um, I was watching the safety rotation, so I, I, I would just yell out, Got him! Yell a lot, got him! I could tell when the guys were open. Because uh, being up high, I could see the coverage pretty easily. Mm. Yell, got him! And they had him. Both teams. I mean, it was a good back-and-forth battle, Sam. Thought there'd be a lot more points scored after those first couple drives. <laughs> it looked it. Right? It looked like it was going to be the the shootout. But there's another vintage Bengals, though. Vintage as in, like, the last year and a half. Yeah. Of the Bengals. And the Bills, 
still remain uh, kind of perplexing, right? Like, what's their issue? I don't know. Dalton Kincaid fumbled. I mean, if Dal- the Dalton Kincaid fumble in the air. That's such a freaky play. I don't even very know. Very freaky play. I don't think it, ball didn't get hit, right? No, it did. Grant okay. hit it out, but I don't know if it was deliberate. Like, everyone was uh, on the broadcast, they were sort of saying, because he'd had the crazy interception. Uh, it was the last week or the week before the 49ers. He had a couple of crazy plays, and they were like, wow, Pratt's just making these incredible plays. And they showed the replay of it. He kind of comes in as Dalton is being, as Kincaid is being flipped, and like kind of comes in, gra- hits the ball, and comes out. I'm not sure he was trying to hit the ball specifically as opposed to just coming in to make a hit and a tackle, and it clipped the ball. But either way, that's the play. Like, Jermaine Pratt getting his hand on the ball, knocking it out, and Kincaid in the course of having a really good game otherwise. He did. Whilst flipping sunset flip up in the air, loses the ball on the way, and that ends up costing them any chance of a comeback. Yeah, so, I mean, just from a Bills – we'll start from the Bengals' perspective, we'll say. Um, Was that their third, fourth straight win? They're up to – they're five and three now. Bills fall to five and four. Um this looks like vintage Bengals the same way it did last week. So now they're sitting on this stretch of last week, take it to the Niners. Yeah. One of the best teams in the NFC. This week, take it to the Bills. And I know the Bills' record isn't what it's been over the last couple of years, but that's still a very good Buffalo team. Um, injuries on the defensive side of uh, um, for Buffalo may be catching up. But again, it was a good back-and-forth battle. It's just 24-18, to 18, but Cincinnati... It, it it feels like the Super Bowl stretch run in last year when they kept beating good teams and it's like, hey, it's fourth down. We're going to go empty, put in Joe Burrow's hands. It's Bills, Bills score a touchdown to get within a score. Go for two, the smart move to go, you know, to get within six, two incredible throws by Josh Allen on back-to-back plays because they can do that type of thing. And Cincinnati comes back out and Burrow hits Tyler Boyd for a big 32-yarder and it's just – Hey, we're putting the ball in Joe Burrow's hands, letting him make plays, and he just he delivered in this game. Yeah, no, he did. Joe Burrow looked spectacular again. Um, and I, you know, if you Josh Allen played well, but Josh Allen also had the really bad interception yes. where he just sort of underthrows a cover two shot and ends up firing it at the corner rather than the wide receiver. Um, so for every one of those, like literally ridiculous, the one of the throws he had to Stephon Diggs where he managed to get it over a guy that was right there. That's great. Burrow also did some of those amazing throws, but he didn't make the critical mistake. Now, you also have the Kincaid fumble, and sometimes well, that ends I, up being the difference, right? But Yeah. I looked at Seth on the when Allen hit that um, – he hit the cover two shot, as you mentioned. I think it was cover two, but it was over the defender. It was precision. Yeah, digs. Re- crazy throw. And I looked at Seth. I was like, sometimes – the difference between a good and bad decision is location, right? It's like the actual accuracy of the ball. Now, the, the interception that Allen threw, it did look like he actually he had Kincaid open underneath and he threw it to the sinking corner. It was a legitimate bad decision. But that's kind of like what you get. And it was inaccurate as well. I mean, even, even yeah, if you I decided mean, was, to make that throw. Like, you could potentially have fixed that decision with a pinpoint accurate pass, but this was just way off. But that, I guess that's my point. Like, sometimes... It, the decision's the same, right. and the accuracy is just the difference between an interception and, like, wow, big-time throw. And that's just sometimes what you get with Josh Allen. Um, but, yeah, he hadn't – we mentioned in the preview show, he had not been making those turnover-worthy plays, right? He had not been doing that a ton. Uh, and it was his only one in this game. And that was but it. It's like, but in a game like this where you've got two quarterbacks playing out of their minds, like if one makes a big mistake and the other one doesn't, the chances are that's got a pretty good cha- shot of – 
determining the outcome of the game. Now you add in the Kincaid fumble, and you're like, well, that's now it's just too much. It's every too many drives. Yeah, every possession matters. Yeah. And then um, you know the Bengals becoming more well-rounded, right, on offense. It, as of a couple of weeks ago, it was like, wow, this the whole offense is horizontal. You can't connect on anything down the field. Where is T. Higgins? Well, T. Higgins had a huge game, best he's looked all season. Unbelievable hands on so many passes, but also looked quick, man. He looked really quick and athletic. They got the tight end in, tight tight ends involved, the non-Irv Smith mm. tight ends. You get Tanner Hudson and Drew Sample making plays in this game for the Bengals. So that's what I'm saying. Like they spread the ball around extremely well. It wasn't just the Jamar, Jamar Chase show because it didn't have to be. And Burrow even said after the game, hey, when they roll coverage that way, we knew T. Higgins would have some opportunities, and it was Higgins and the tight ends who, who did, and they came through. No, they did. Um, yeah, Burrow, that offense looked spectacular. Buffalo's pass rush actually had a pretty good day, and it didn't matter because Burrow was playing that well. Um, this is like – you're right. It, it's like last year when they had this insanely brutal run of games and ended up, like, knocking them all over, beating all these good teams – and going on the run that they went on, um, we said a while ago, like they, they're in a hole, not just because they've lost three of their first four games, but because if you look at their schedule, it's ugly and it's not easy yeah. to win these games, particularly if Burrow isn't 100%. Well, they've won the two hardest games on the schedule, arguably, with San Francisco and Buffalo having already gotten back on track with Arizona and Seattle. Now they've got Houston at home, which is a tougher game than it looked earlier. Uh, then at Baltimore, Pittsburgh at home, at Jacksonville. So there's still some rough games coming up, but they've put themselves in a position now where, you know, if they keep playing like this, they're back to being Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, the stretch last year that we were talking about, they lost to the Browns. They, they had to go to Pittsburgh, which is always tough. Tennessee, which looked tougher at the time because they were still a good Titans team. They beat Kansas City. The Browns, again, um, Tom Brady's Bucks. Mm-hmm and then New England, and then the Buffalo-Hamlin game, and then the Ravens. Like, th- that whole stretch, it's like, right. all right, you know, six or six out of eight games. And then once really the playoffs, tough. Ravens again, Bills again. like, <laughs> And then the Chiefs, right? And then, and then the they, they finally yeah. lost. So that's, you know, that's what I always keep coming back to with Zach Taylor. Um, I don't think Zach Taylor is bringing the same schematic advantage that the other – that the Shanahan disciples are necessarily bringing to the table. But Zach Taylor is the head coach. And for the third straight year, the Bengals' offense has looked different, changed for whatever reason, right? They went from run-heavy to pass-heavy. They went from downfield to more horizontal. Like, they've, they've evolved over the last three years to the personnel, and they've bounced back from adversity. And to me, that's impressive. Now, all that said, of course, we know that the elite quarterback is the driver. Yeah. And Joe Burrow is the highest-graded quarterback over the last three weeks top three quarterback over the last three years. He's the driver. Makes it easy to, easier to be the head coach, but I'm still impressed by like the whole organization being able to bounce back and right the ship for the third straight year, when he's, seemingly. When he's playing well, Burrow, um, he is virtually peerless when it comes to play under pressure. I mean, under pressure in that game, he was 10 of 16 for 125 yards and a touchdown, like with a passer rating of 107. Like, that's silly. You can't. That's basically unstoppable if a guy's playing like that. If, you, if when you pressure him, his play is still at an elite level, there's almost nothing you can do at that point other than keep pace, and that goes out the window when you have a couple of turnovers. So 
I think honestly that that ends up being the story. Like I think both defenses did pretty good, t- pretty well, despite the fact that we're talking up the quarterbacks and how amazingly they played. Like both defenses did a good job, and in this season of defenses fighting back, this is another pretty good example of that. Where you know, in another season, this might have been like a 38-34 type of game, but instead, 18-24 and, and a couple of turnovers make the difference. All right, I have to highlight the concern with Von Miller here. Okay, because. Uh, you, I saw people saying, hey, Von Miller, Von Miller, nowhere to be seen, which was true. But it doesn't mean the entire Bills pass rush wasn't good. As you said, they got pressure. Burrow just made plays. Von Miller on pace, I mean, he's in the middle of by far his worst graded season. I mean, he also basically, yeah. I, mean, I, know, I know he's hurt, playing hurt, playing a part-time role. Yes. But he's grading in the 50s, pass rush grade in the 50s. Even when he had his lull with the Broncos, his lull was still like, all right, you're still a good player. Right? You're just going to become a rotational player late in, his, in, in your career. He's got five pressures on 76 rushes right now, and it's not productive for Von Miller. It feels like the Bills are going to need him to figure it out, get healthy, whatever it is, and be a big part of their stretch run. It's not the only issue in Buffalo. Like I said, I mean, I think uh, Ben Solak was tweeting out stuff about the Bills have good EPA. They've got, they've got all these good metrics. They're five and four. And on one hand, you just say, okay, they'll, the record will revert at some point. On the other hand, it's like, okay, what's missing? Is it really just the turnovers? Is it really you just give, give, this, give this efficient offense the two more possessions, let them finish the Dalton Kincaid fumble drive, and don't turn it over in Bengals territory with the, um, the cover two shot that Josh Allen took, and then it changes the game. Is it that simple? Because um, I think there's elements of the Dalton Kincaid – offense of him moving around and being a feature part of this that make it a little bit better but i don't know something a little missing yeah i mean it's not they're pretty banged up at this point which is like a fairly significant element of all this i mean their their secondary is pretty wrecked they've lost linebackers they lost more of them in this game um they're not what they should have been from a health standpoint and as much as Everyone sort of says, well, you know, nobody likes to, you can't use injuries as an excuse. Everybody deals with injuries. And it's true, they do. But you also can't pretend like they don't impact what you're seeing happening, right? Like who gets injured and when and how severe and how long they're done for and, and how many guys at one position group were injured absolutely affects these overall big picture outcomes of teams, right? So you can't just pretend it's not a factor. And the Bills have been pretty banged up particularly like located in the back seven on that defense so that's definitely part of it the offense i think showed the last couple of weeks that they can be a little bit more diverse and win in a a couple of different ways and i think they are better like chris talked about it in the broadcast a little bit when sometimes they go you know what we're just not going to bother with the run game like a little bit like what the, the best offense the washington commanders seem to be able to deploy is when they just say, drop back Sam Howell and let's just play some backyard football here. Uh, And then Howell will create a few scramble plays and that effectively serves as your run game. I think the bill is similar when they just let Josh Allen drop back and sling it and then Allen can be your run game, whether it's scrambles or whether it's, you know, some design carries here or there. Okay, you you want to do that less if he's injured with a shoulder, but still, I, I think that is still fundamentally their best form of offense um, and they did some of that in this game. They did some of that in the last game as well in a couple of different ways. 
And it worked. I mean, I think that is – I think their offense is still fine, but, like, the defense is banged up, and they're running up against some damn good teams. That's what I'm always trying to figure out is that balance with not, – not run-pass balance, but the how much is on Josh Allen's plate balance. Yeah. Because these last few weeks where they played – but they didn't blow out the Giants and they didn't blow te- – they've lost to the Patriots, they did give other guys opportunities. They did run the ball a lot more and mix it up. And then it's like, well, maybe you should give Josh Allen more, you know, more of those plays. I think finding that balance is the thing. Also, coming back to the preview show, we now have the Bengals, not just in big games against the Chiefs, but now 2-0 against the Bills, plus the quarter-plus in the DeMar Hamlin game, where the Bengals have looked really good against this Bills team. Is it a matchup thing as well, where, hey, in the playoffs, Buffalo actually wouldn't mind facing Kansas City. They match up pretty well with the Chiefs. They can go head-to-head with the Chiefs. Right. But they might not match up really well with Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and that's what's going to determine things come playoff time. Well, I mean, I think what we said in the preview show, if you look at how the Bengals have done against the best teams in the NFL when everybody is playing well, like Cincinnati might have the strongest punch of anybody out there. I mean, in a season where the Chiefs offense doesn't seem like the Chiefs offense and you know, when, when we've talked about Buffalo not being quite right and even Philadelphia haven't quite looked right, like Cincinnati is the one team now that looks back to being where they've been in the past. Yeah. And that is that already has a track record of beating the other best teams in the NFL when they match up. I mean, even factoring in the last sort of minute loss to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game, they've still had Kansas City's number when they've run up against them. So you kind of look, I mean, this, I don't know if there will be a single power rankings in the NFL that has Cincinnati number one. But I think there's a pretty strong argument that they're the best team in the NFL right now. In a few weeks, if they keep playing like this, you know, you could, they'll be trending in the right direction. Sure. I mean, eventually they'll get there if they keep winning these games. But like right now, if there was a game next week in a neutral field for the Super Bowl, right? And you had, forget like every team's in the pot. Cincinnati versus any team in the NFL, would they be underdogs versus anybody? Ravens. Or should they be underdogs versus anybody? Ravens, probably. I don't know. Potentially. Anyway, Bengals moved to 5-3, and three, Bills 5-4, and four, so they're a game off the lead in the AFC East behind the Dolphins. That's it, man. It's going to be a quicker show. Mm-hmm. And here we are. So but people are watching. People like tuning in. We appreciate everybody that tunes in. Um, that's it for us today. We'll be back again tomorrow reviewing Monday Night Football. Enjoy Chargers Jets tonight. That's it for us, man. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow, and I'll see you guys on Wednesday.